The following spooky podcast is not for children and contains discussions of adult themes. Listener's discretion is advised. And remember, listeners, there's nothing dreamier than listening to your own needs. Little Words podcast, where we read and rank your favorite romance novels on steaminess, dreaminess, and memeiness. I'm Nicole. And I'm Claudia. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Hello. (laughs) I'm Marn. I co-host the Argonauts podcast. And also by the time this is out, you will be able to hear me as one of the four hosts on uh, Dead Teen House Party, which is a MTV Scream TV show watch podcast yes i'm very excited to listen to that to be honest i'm very excited to record it (laughs) (laughs) as a fan of the scream movies that's my favorite horror franchise so this is very exciting (laughs) so today we've read two novellas for this episode the first being on the water monsters of the river's edge and the second being the water's edge monsters of the river's edge by jerica taylor Yeah, we decided to do these as a little uh, Halloween special. We thought that as host of uh, Dead Lair Society, it might be a fun exchange here to do a sort of horror romance, I guess just paranormal romance. Yes, I didn't say that in my intro, but I also host Dead Lair Society, a Harvard Club podcast. I forgot the third podcast (laughs) I want. (laughs) So many podcasts, so little time. Uh, where we, we talk about horror books, so I am here to talk about mystery, monster, lesbian, paranormal romance. Yep, I mean, that sums it up pretty well. By the time this is released, is this going to be our first lesbian book? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, wow. I went oh, through. my goodness. I mean, our next one isn't until Christmas. <laughs> well, Hanukkah <laughs> and then Christmas. So, lesbian holiday specials. <laughs> That's so exciting. <laughs> Okay, so before we get into it, I have a very important question that I want to ask you two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourselves monster fuckers? Yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Same. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, we're all on the same page. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thank goodness. I won't have to censor myself. Not that I would anyway, but you know. Yeah. What do you guys think of this book, like, off the bat here? Or these books, I suppose? I wish they were longer. (laughs) Yeah. I really enjoyed them, though, just me being a pervert, I kind of (laughs) wish that the sexy scenes were longer. Yeah, I was surprised that they were mostly, like, supernatural mystery and not a lot of, like, romance and spicy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing that we've learned over the last, like... 12 episodes of this podcast is that 
too many romance novels try to be about something mm -hmm. instead of like about the relationship where like the last one we read was about a um psychic meteorologist oh my god yeah i know that ended up half being about like texas teen gangs half being about an oncoming hurricane and then like the romance was like sprinkled throughout but you can just have it be about the romance you know yeah mm -hmm. yeah i want to be honest there were parts where i kind of just like skimmed <laughs> over like the plot there was a lot of lore yeah which like you know i have to assume that th there's not going to be like just two mm -hmm. of these there have to be like more coming i mean at the very end of the second book there's a little like teaser image for magic makers limited or something like that which yeah. alludes to the organization that what's her face is part of Oh, yeah. Uh, Maddie. Yeah, Maddie. I really hope it's a continuation of this and not just a Maddie story because I, listen, I need, Jerrica, I need more. You can't do this to me, Jerrica. <laughs> well, Jerrica is actually in uh, Western Massachusetts, so we can always oh go. Jerica, I'm driving to your house. <laughs> Sorry. Begging you for more <laughs> paranormal porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, here's the thing where it's like, I don't know what about this specifically made me just like, want more porn. <laughs> but I wanted more porn. But also like, I did appreciate the kind of like, lore and world building. But I didn't want that in this. I don't know why. I think mm. I'm just a horny. <laughs> I th I feel like the problem was it was so short that I was like, oh, it's probably all gonna be spicy if it's that short. It's only like the first one is like 60 some pages. Yeah, in total, each of these books is less than 80 pages. Yeah, and I, yeah. I was talking to my wife about it because she reads more, like, romance stuff than I do, and she was like, yeah, like, once you get, like, 20% in, it's gonna turn into porn. And I was like, no, I'm 30% of the way through. This is still, like, a mystery happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it turns out no. <laughs> I mean, we got a kiss, like, very early on in the first one, so I was like, oh, okay, mm. like, this is happening. And then, and then we got a little bit of spice i enjoyed the bit of spice that was in here you know yeah. but like i mean this is like a jalapeno and i'm looking for like cayenne ají amarillo mm -hmm. like habanero all the all the stuff in there you know yeah why don't we uh jump into it here do we want to read the amazon store page blurb first yeah, let's do that. Dell needs all the cash she can get, so when someone who claims to be from someplace called the Uncanny Society hires her to look into local disappearances, she takes the job. It brings her to On the Water, a club by the river where she notices a beautiful woman trying too hard to be overlooked, and who goes out of her way to keep Dell from the riverbank. Syra entered the human world to retrieve the missing guard of the North Gate at the behest of her eminence, and return to her underwater home as quickly as possible. But there's a human poking around the river, too intriguing and too stubborn for their own good. And if Syra isn't careful, she won't be the only monster who takes notice of her. I like how that's the Amazon summary. That's literally just the first yeah, book. That's just, yeah, <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> it's the whole book. Podcast done. Yeah, let's tuck into it here then. Yeah, so I'm opening up the 
the book now, and I just realized that I totally skipped over the case file oh, at the beginning of the first book because I was like, "Oh, this is just like credits or whatever," and I just I just went straight to chapter one. Oh well, one. what I just read is the case yeah, file. Yeah, <laughs> the case file is the blurb. Oh well, apparently there we go. <laughs> I didn't even flip to that page intending to read that as the blurb. I just I just noticed. Oh well, there we go. Also, date of incident late twenty twenty. Y'all are at the club. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a here's a huge question: stories that take place in the 2020s that are not about the pandemic. Are we supposed to assume the pandemic is happening? I think it depends on how much we want to hate the characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, like, we encountered this at the end of Love Me Whole, where it was written in 2018, (laughs) but the book takes place over two years, so it just so happens that the character's wedding at the end takes place in, like, May 2020. (gasps) Oh, no! Yeah. (laughs) So, I'm looking at this book, right? And it says copyright 2021. Yes, these books are actually very recent. Yeah. So... I mean, who's to say it didn't take place during the pandemic? Like, love me whole. Like, they they couldn't have known. They didn't know. <laughs> Unless. And if they did predict that, I'd have some some questions. <laughs> Nikki James. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Yeah, it's it's pandemic time still. <laughs> yes, just to add, add the extra layer of drama. <laughs> that yeah. Oh, so much unsafe behavior in that case. <laughs> I'm gonna say it might be like a like a Grey's Anatomy scenario where just COVID like doesn't exist. Yeah. COVID happened only in March 2020 yeah. and that was it. <laughs> in this universe where magic and monsters are real, it turns out the government is slightly more effective. <laughs> That's truly the magical part of this book. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into it. We start with our main character, Del, at a club. I I love Del so much. Yes. Partly just because as a butch woman, I don't get to read about other butches outside of like AO3. Like, ever. That's true. Yeah. And it's so refreshing to see the line here to talk about her like going to the club. It's been a long time since she went clubbing, longer since she actually enjoyed it, but she still has the classic Bush uniform of black t-shirt and black jeans. It's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's that's the look. Somebody who gets it. They also mention her having a pompadour, and yeah. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> I like, <laughs> this is gonna sound stupid, I like that she's extremely divorced. Yes, I do. I, yeah. <laughs> I got like four pages in and I was like, oh, hell yeah, divorced lesbian. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, yeah, like one of the first sentences here is she had even had some hair product from those terrible months after the divorce <laughs> when beer soaked dance floors and unsatisfying hookups were better than being in her damp basement studio apartment. Girl, you got to find some place else as somebody who has lived <laughs> in a damp basement studio apartment. You, you gotta get out of there. If that shit floods, your life is ruined. Trust me. <laughs> and not only is she divorced, she's divorced because her wife put them thousands of dollars in debt. Hundreds of thousands Hundreds of, of dollars thousands. in yep. debt. Which is insane. <laughs> like, she found that year that there was actually a lot more she could endure than she ever expected. Boy, isn't that the 2020 mood? Great shifts in her life, starting with the first unmooring one. She had followed Mary to the storage unit where she had been secretly keeping all of her extravagant compulsive purchases. Purchases that had put them hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. 
long before Dell had happened to stumble upon the first clue something was wrong. Holy shit. Jesus Christ. From the way that this was written about, like, in, in the first book, I got the impression that, like, this probably actually happened to someone the author is close to. Because I was like, oh, like... <laughs> This is very realistic. You know somebody who this happened to. It, it was too real. Yeah. It's very specific. Like, you think that for a divorce story, or a story in which someone has gotten divorced, it would be cheating or maybe mm -hmm. some kind of, some other kind of addiction, but like a shopping addiction. And the way it talks about, like, her debtors still calling about, like, her wife's credit card debt, I was like... Oh, this is, like, yeah. suspiciously specific. <laughs> yeah. But also, it does serve, like, a very functional character beat. Because Del, like, takes on everyone else's problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, she's divorced and she's still paying this woman's credit card bills. It's like, how much of that was actually in your name? Surely when you get divorced, if it's something like this, they can legally separate you, right? In that way? Now comes the part of the show where I Google. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, even in the second book, Sairi points out, like, you know, it's not her responsibility. It's not under her name. Yeah. So why is she doing this? And they never do explain it. And again, where it's just like, oh, I wanted more porn. I also wanted, like, more plot. <laughs> like, I want to know more. <laughs> I want to know more about her wife's credit card <laughs> <laughs> want a prequel <laughs> what did she get what were the extravagant purchases in the storage unit okay what would you guys compulsively buy <laughs> oh you know what i saw someone answer this because there was like a thing going around on twitter recently that was like if you came into like a hundred million dollars like what would you buy or whatever and the person was like oh i would buy neopets.com <laughs> like, oh yeah that's that's like objectively the correct answer <laughs> God. I would buy Tumblr and bring back the porn. <laughs> That's also objectively a correct answer. <laughs> Man, my answers are, are boring now. I was, I was just going to say I was going to indulge in every stupid purchase I've ever wanted. <laughs> just, oh, go through my Amazon list, all the pattern button-ups I can think of. And oh, so hell true, yeah. <laughs> all the magic cards. Oh. I would buy the tallest cat tree for my cat, so oh, there we he's go. a climber. <laughs> Okay, I've Googled family court and the bills. This is from LegalZoom.com. When people file for divorce, their first thought is frequently about their assets. However, debts are just as important since they factor into... No, thank you, Google. Google's asking if I want to know that. <laughs> oh, because I said I, I, I Googled it. Um, look at every bill and financial statement that comes into your house to get an accurate picture of your economic position. As part of the divorce judgment... The court will divide the couple's debts and assets. The court will indicate which party is responsible for paying which bills while dividing property and money. Generally, the court tries to divide assets equally and debts equally. However, they can also be used to balance one another. For example, a spouse who receives more property might also be assigned more debt. What? Interesting. What? It's wild. Shitty fucking judge looked at this situation and was like, uh, yeah, we're gonna take everything away from Dell and also saddle her with all the debt, I guess. But as you as you said, Cyrus says that she is is probably not responsible for. It. I don't know. I need to know. Yeah, is her wife in jail? 
I don't think so. Then again, they don't say she's not in jail. Yeah, they never explained what exactly happened to her wife after she racked up all that debt. (laughs) Just that they're divorced. I gotta say, I feel really bad for her wife. Because obviously something is very, very wrong. Yeah. I agree that we need a prequel about her wife. (laughs) (laughs) Jerrica, please. Jerrica, please. What did her wife buy? (laughs) What is in that storage unit? For some reason, whenever I picture the storage unit, I picture, like, all these, like, giant taxidermy animals. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Del is at this club on the water because she's been hired by a mysterious organization. What was it called? The Uncanny Society. (laughs) The Uncanny Society. Great name, to be honest. Uh, Not exactly subtle, but great name. It gives me, like, Lemony Snicket vibes. Yeah. Yeah. She's at this club trying to figure out about these women who have gone missing from this club. And it's, like, a suspicious number of women in a suspiciously short amount of time. So we talked about how there is a plot and how there's, like, a lot of plot. What did you guys think of the plot? Like, apart from all the romance things. So I didn't really care for it in the first one, but in the second Mm -hmm. book, I did. (laughs) I had the same experience. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the first book, I really liked the one chapter with the confrontation, Mm -hmm. but everything else I could have taken or left. Mm-hmm. But the second book, I actually, I did like the, the plot. I thought it was fun. Yeah, in the first book, there was, like, one paragraph in particular that we'll, like, get to in just a little bit that I really liked describing, like, the door into another world. Mm-hmm. But the confrontation as a whole, I don't know if it was, like, rushed or something. It just I, it just felt out of place to me a little bit. Yeah. Like, it was just kind of in there to be like, oh, by the way, there's a plot. Whereas in, like, the second book, it felt more cohesive, I guess. Yeah. Also, I gotta say, The Uncanny Society, it's like a a series. Like, there are a bunch of different writers who write for, like, Uncanny Society series, like, different case files. Does this organization know that, like, so many of their agents are all fucking monsters? (laughs) They gotta know, right? I feel like they must at this point. (laughs) They go out of their way to hire monsters. Oh my god. We could be a part of the Uncanny Society. Ooh, get me a river monster femme. Oh my god. (laughs) Back to the story. So Del's at this club, looking into the disappearances and everything. So as somebody who used to go clubbing a lot, (laughs) Del was super relatable here, where she's like, I'm too fucking old for this. (laughs) It's like, God, yeah. I mean, I used to party like Thursday through Sunday, and now I just want to sit. So every time Del was saying something about how she's like too old or too tired to be at a club, I just found it to be the most relatable thing ever. I spent a lot of time in the first book wondering exactly how old Del is supposed to be. She has to be like 35, right? At least. My brain was saying 36 while reading this. I swung wildly back and forth between her being in her 30s and her being in her 40s. Mm. And I just like could not tell the rage (laughs) yeah she definitely has a maturity to her Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's hard to tell if like her world weariness is adding to that feeling of age 
I feel like she has to be in her 40s now that I think about it, because there is one part where it mentions her not doing something for decades. Yeah. So she has to be, like, assuming she, like, got married or started dating whatever at, like, 18, Mm -hmm. you know, she would have to be, like, 38. Okay, yeah. Because I forgot what exactly it was that she had been doing for decades. There's a desperation radiating from Syrah that Del hasn't felt from anyone in literal decades. So did she ever... I'm assuming she felt that with her ex-wife at one point. Maybe towards the beginning of their relationship. How long were they married? (laughs) Oh, they never say, do they? Listen, Jerrica. (laughs) The prequel, Jerrica. (laughs) The people want to know. Jerrica, come on the show. Tell us what happened. <laughs> if you don't feel like writing, just just talk about it. Give us your head cannons. Well, it'd just be canon because she's the author. Well, it, let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so from across the bar, Del spots this beautiful woman wearing a top with sequins so deep green that they shimmer like mermaid scales. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Curious. Uh, she's striking, poised with glossy lips and perfectly styled hair that makes Dell want to pull at it until it unravels. That was my first little spicy bit there. Oh, Jesus. Hang, hang on. It's okay. Did Google yell at you? <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> we, we have a YouTube hooked up to the TV and my wife like disconnected from it, which made it start playing. So that oh, was no. the, the voice of Mumbo Jumbo <laughs> real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, boy, that British man sounds familiar. <laughs> yep, thanks for for giving me so much content to watch, Martin. <laughs> You're so. <welcome. laughs> okay, so that was just that was just the first chapter. It's very short. It's just Dell being at the club and spotting this beautiful woman with a mermaid top on chapter two we actually get from Syra's point of view martin do you want to take this uh summary part sure so chapter two you meet Syra, who is a like lake monster river monster i guess she she lives underwater she's a water mo- serpent pretending to be a human because she is also investigating the missing women she is there because her eminence, who is like the queen of the underwater serpent monsters, has told her to come and investigate a missing guard who has come up into the human world and is probably eating these women. I think that's established later that he's definitely eating them, but it, it's very implied in the first chapter where you yeah. meet Sarah. So she has been patrolling these, like, different social spots along the river, kind of sniffing around for, like, traces of magic that this guard has been leaving. And she doesn't know his name, so she names him Kevin, because she (laughs) had a bad experience with an actual human named Kevin. (laughs) And it's just, like, decided that all Kevins are terrible, which I loved. So there are very few, if any, parts in these books that I would consider meme because I always think of it as being, like, unintentional. So these intentionally funny parts, I thought, hit every they single did. time. Like, this, I mean, right here we have, of course he's the one who eats maidens in the human world. It couldn't have been the trash collector or the storm chaser. No, it had to be Kevin. Yeah. 
Kevin, the most bland of human names. <laughs> Take that, Kevin. <laughs> she named him after one of the worst and most memorable humans she met her first visit Earthside, who crashed into her with his scooter in a snowstorm, and then decided to blame her for being in the bike lane, as well as insisting she pay for her spilled groceries. Syrah had known humans to be arrogant, egotistical, and stubborn, but none had ever rivaled the sheer presumptuous chaos Kevin had exuded. Did she ask for his name? Like when she when he hit her with his scooter? <laughs> That's a good point. Hmm. How does she know? Maybe he spoke in the third person. <laughs> Maybe he had a vanity license plate that just said Kevin. Oh god, oh it just god. like KVN though. Yeah, on his scooter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so Syrah is at this club, uh, looking for Kevin, the the <laughs> woman eater Kevin, not the, the scooter Kevin. And she runs into Dell, who she's surprised can actually see her because she has like a like a magic glamour on that like makes people kind of stop being aware of her. And so she becomes intrigued by Dell because Dell can actually see her and like has a conversation with her. And they have a flirty little conversation. Um, and and Syra comes away with the impression that Dell is an agent of Kevin. <laughs> Can I just say, like, that is one of my favorite tropes, the whole, like, no one can, like, see me except for you. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if y'all have read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. If not, highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books of all time. But that's, like, all that where only like one person can mm-hmm. remember the main character and it's like oh mwah, mwah, i love it That's, give it to me that's it's so good cool. um so this this was very good yeah it's, it's really good <laughs> i enjoyed that little bit there but yeah so Dell leaves she goes back inside after their flurry little conversation and then cyrus like oh no what if she is like working with kevin to kill these women and she goes back inside to try and find Dell and finds her on the dance floor. I, I gotta say, from descriptions, maybe it's just because I, I'm really into butches, but Dell sounds really hot. Yeah. <laughs> View's not bad, Dell says, but this time she's looking directly at Syra. And oh, Syra doesn't actually want her to look away. The way Dell's hair is styled accentuates her sharp jawline, and though she's an average height, the gazes of the crowd seem to snap up to her and then cascade over her broad shoulders all the way down her body. I don't know if it's in this book or the next one, but Syrah mentioned something about Dell being strong, like even for a human. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, strong women. Uh, yeah. I'm sweating, and it's not just because I'm overheating. <laughs> and so they kind of continue their flirtation on the dance floor. Syrah is like, well, this is weird. I like that, like, humans court like this because there's no, like, magic involved or whatever. Yeah, apparently there's a lot of paperwork for sex for river monsters. Again, a lot of river monster lore we get in this book. (laughs) (laughs) There were no ritual dances before courtship could be considered, no cycles along matching tiers, no contracts necessary for magical traces and parentage and clan rights. Jesus. Could you imagine, like, sex bureaucracy it would be yeah. horrible i'd fuck humans too to be honest <laughs> that, that's the real reason they get together <laughs> just out of convenience i think the implication that river monsters have clans is like a thing that never comes up again yeah no no <laughs> just that one line i, I 
want to know more. <laughs> I don't often wish that these books were longer. Yeah. I wish this book were like 300 plus pages, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I want more plot, but within that plot, I need like graphics. Yep. <laughs> Like, I want to see some monster fucking. So, yeah, so they, they dance together, uh, and Syrah has to, like, get close enough to touch Del to, like, figure out if there's any magic in her. And she does, but she doesn't sense any of Kevin's magic on Del at all. And then Del gets suspicious because they're, like, talking about the women who went missing. And Del says, well, do you know something about the women who went missing? And Cyrus like, no, goodbye, and leaves. <laughs> Which is Not maybe suspicious. the single most suspicious thing you can do <laughs> if someone's like, hey, what do you know about the women who went missing? <laughs> when I read that, I just thought about that meme where Homer just, yeah. like, fades into the bush. <laughs> yeah. So... Dell goes down to the like river behind the club, beneath the club, around the club, somewhere. Yeah, and she she actually sees Syra down there. Syra seems like very concerned, especially concerned that Dell is down there, and she like very urgently warns Dell like stay away from the water. And I'm trying to see if there's anything before they start making out. <laughs> uh. No. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, just like the implication that there's something in the water. Yeah. Where a rock clatters from the outcropping, something about both Dell and Cyrus' stance must have shaken something loose, and it falls into the water with a heavy splash. There's a larger, answering splash in the water, a turtle falling off a log, a fish jumping for a bug, something disturbed. Both she and Cyrus watch the water and then turn to look at one another at the same time. So it's like, ooh, what, something's lurking there. Yeah. Also, I love how, like, their first kiss isn't forceful in the way that we've seen a lot of other forceful first kisses on this podcast, mm. but it's very, like, strong and possessive. Yes. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. Like, Dell isn't sure if the sound she hears is actually another splash or just her brain trying to make sense of the static when Syrah's red nails grip Dell's chin and she pulls her forward into a kiss. It's surprisingly deft considering the spontaneity of it in the dark and their precarious stance on the riverbank. But Syrah kisses determinately, asking Del to wait again, but this time wordless, just mouth against mouth. Whew. I like this makeout scene. It's a good one, quite frankly. It is a good one. That's why, like, reading this, it's a very good makeout scene. Which is why I was surprised there wasn't more spice later on yeah. in the book. Because yeah. this, oh, like, it's a tease. It's good, but it's also implied that there's, like, a woman-eating river monster like five feet away from them which is also great <laughs> the thrill just makes it hotter <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah i mean like it's so good they're still caught in one another's orbit and it's effortless to let herself be drawn into another kiss Syra's eyes are open wide right until del can't keep hers open anymore with the answering heat of Syra's mouth her teeth catch at del's bottom lip not quite a bite but not quite something that belongs in the first kiss and Del makes a noise of surprise that Syra swallows up as they kiss deeper. Del wants to anchor herself against Syra, against this perpetual feeling that she's going to fall, back into the reeds or against the pointy outcrop of rocks, or worse, forward into the water. It's such a good makeout scene. I like that Syra kisses with her eyes open. It's a little bit unnerving. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. 
I often do. <laughs> I just think of all those memes where you have somebody like zoomed in like, yeah. on someone's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it's like. <laughs> they start like grinding against each other too, which is, and Syra gives her gives Dell apparently a lot of hickeys. Oh yeah, yes. Right off the bat, I, I've i had my fair share of encounters like this. Uh, I don't think uh, I've ever allowed anyone to give me a hickey during like the first makeout session or whatever. Especially when they have fangs, I feel like. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that might have changed things for me. I might have been like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay, true and fair. Yeah. <laughs> But I just, I I love it. Like, it works here because Syrah is so possessive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so good. You know what it is, Nicole? It's the primal shit again. Mm, God damn it, the primal just shit gets us bit. every time. Except for that one book. Yes. <laughs> Except for, for Innocence Time, One Scandal. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> Danny, we love you. We just hate Victor Rohan. <laughs> God. About the, the hickeys, enough, enough, Del says, though it comes out breathy and weak. Syra lifts her head and laughs against Del's mouth. You don't want me to mark you up? I was going to tell you I bruise easily, but I'm pretty sure it's probably too late for that. I don't know. I like these little moments. Right, like just right after that, though, they shift mm. just a little against one another, and Del pushes her thigh up between Syra's legs where mm-hmm. they're leaning against one another. Del presses up slightly, and Syra makes a small, surprised sound. Yeah, Del asks, and Syra moves her hands to Del's shoulders to brace herself for a moment before she rocks down against Del's thigh. I'm going to throw my iPad out the window. This was, like, so hot. Honestly, the yeah really makes it for me. Yeah! Mm-hmm. It was... Mm. Again, it, you, we get this. This is, like, 21 pages in, according to my nook, at least. And it's just... I, I wish there was more because the little bit we got was so good. Yeah, it's, like, surprising because, like, this scene is so good and fun and just, like, generally extremely well-written. And, and then I was like, okay, but where is that for the rest of the book? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think the later sex scenes are bad at all. It's yeah, just no. I know, this has such, this, like, extra level of tension, not just from possibly kevin lurking feet away (laughs) but there's just like more electricity in this moment that i really enjoy i feel like our biggest qualm with the book is that there's not more yeah (laughs) yeah like in terms of just like more pages more plot more sex and steaminess just that that's that's my biggest problem with these books is that there's just not more of them (laughs) as a famous british boy once said please sir i want some more (laughs) Just uh, the whole, the thigh riding really got me. (laughs) They kiss again like this, moving sinuously against one another in a way that's much hotter than it should be, given the discomfort of the rocks against Del's back. Oh yeah, because they're like (laughs) lying down on the rocks. rocks. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a desperation radiating from Syra that Del hasn't felt from anyone in literal decades, a fixation on her, on keeping her attention right here in this very moment. It reaches inside of places in Dell she's tried to forget exist. Places that longed for touch, for connection, for the fiery exploration of someone who wanted her. And it didn't matter if it was in the dark by the riverbank. They were going to have her. 
God, I wish that were me. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of also enjoy how, like, abruptly it ends. Like, just having to be like, all right, that, that has to stop now. Otherwise, it won't stop. I mean, and it just, like, it works with Syrah's feeling earlier where she says that she wants something she shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a bunch of times where, you know, she needs to stop what she's doing because she shouldn't be doing it. But the attraction there is just so strong and so apparent that she gives into it anyway. Oh, I love it. It's very Yeah. I found it really interesting that, like, the monster in this book is the one who's inexperienced sexually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I also found that interesting. Because typically you would think it would be the opposite. Like, you know, the brash monster taking the innocent virgin or whatever. But, like, instead it's the 30 or 40-something year old divorcee with the innocent virgin monster i love it because like even though syra is sexually inexperienced she does have her moments where she's very dominant Mm. and it does it for me i love it yeah she knows what she wants Mm. and she wants dell baby Mm -hmm. i have to say a very writerly thing that i meant to say earlier uh oh please do did it throw anyone else off that these books are written in uh present tense yeah, it's very fan fiction. Yes. Yeah, we talked about this in If I Break, I think. I feel like that is so, like, native to fan fiction. It mm-hmm. definitely is, because I write almost all of my fan fiction in present tense. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a known present tense defender. I wrote a 230,000 word web novel entirely in present tense. Ooh, oh my goodness. For some reason, it did throw me off that this was in present tense. For whatever reason, it kept throwing me that all of, like, the actions that the characters were doing were in present tense, and I could not tell you why. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, while we're talking about, like, the nitty-gritty of writing, the chapters tended to alternate whose perspective we were in, even though it was, like, third person. But there were also a lot of times where it wasn't clear whose perspective I was supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like omniscient, like I was supposed to be feeling both. I just wasn't sure who I was following here. Yeah, I am a fan of rotating perspectives, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it would have been nice to have like a thing at the beginning of each chapter that was just like character name. Yeah, or something at least like a, some kind of indicator to make it like abundantly clear that this is from so and so's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Claudia, like you mentioned, it does get kind of fuzzy at times, mm-hmm. which um, we got through it, but yeah. it it is nice to have a very clear idea of whose perspective we're seeing things from. Yeah. Also, like, as someone who writes multiple character perspectives a lot, there were some times, especially the second book, where I was like, oh, you included this character in a scene specifically because you had to show it from someone's point of view and you didn't want to add a third point of view character. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I was like, I know your tricks. (laughs) You just shoehorned this character in because you wanted to show the scene. (laughs) <laughs> Which is not a bad thing, necessarily, but it was like, I see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so their makeout session is long and steamy and chef's kiss. And then we end chapter three with a line that made me laugh because mood. She knew she was too old for clubs. She was too old for any of this. 
God, if that ain't a mood. Yeah, that line kind of hit, though, because it comes from, like, this feeling of rejection. Mm-hmm. Where all of a sudden, Cyrus is basically, like, shoving her away, and Del, like, essentially quietly retreating back into herself. It is also a big mood, but it does hit. <laughs> Yeah, this is the second chapter in a row where Cyrus like, I gotta go, bye! Yeah. Hey, bye! That sucks. Yeah, because, I mean, the attraction is there. Mm -hmm. so, so for Cyrus to bounce twice in, like, one night? <laughs> like, within an hour. <laughs> Could you imagine? I'd be so upset. <laughs> so Cyrus is still trying to find Kevin. She suspects that he had been there at some point but doesn't feel like he's there at that particular moment. Yeah, he left traces of magic. I like that magic is like a residue. Yeah, I that was yeah. a really cool thing about the world building that I liked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We also get Syrah's point of view on what's happening between her and Del. How, you know, it's against the rules to involve humans in the affairs of their realm, I guess. But she, you know, gave in to those desires that she was feeling. But to kiss Del and to kiss her like that, not the way humans do when they're just getting to know one another, soft and exploratory. No, Syra had kissed Del the way she would kiss a lover, direct and vicious and all-consuming. And Del had responded in kind. Del had allowed it. I just, I, I love this whole forbidden attraction thing and mm -hmm. just trying so hard to not give in to passion and then just doing it anyway oh chef's kiss i also love where that goes towards the end of the second book yeah yes oh also she mentions that a lot of her people have had their hearts broken by humans Aww. it has been a point of pride for her that she had never had her heart broken by a human as so many others of her kind had humans have their own kind of magic when it comes to enticing and trapping those of them pretending not to be monsters and then rejecting them once discovered the truth I think that's interesting world building, too. I like that this is just a thing that regularly happens, apparently. I don't know if they mention it in this book or in the next one, but there is mention of somebody higher up, like royalty, who fell in love with a human at one point. Yeah. Which I also thought was a really interesting tidbit of information. Yeah, it's like some kind of like legend, I guess. Yeah, that's a thing. I really like the world building and the lore of these two books. Give me, yeah, give me a full book. Give me 332 pages of this. For real. Write, write a full novel. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so hungry for more of this. Yeah, I mean, this entire chapter really is just Syrah thinking of their interaction and how it shouldn't have happened, but it did, and she can't stop thinking about it and how amazing it was. And then... She decides that the next day would be the day that she brought Kevin home. She suspects that he's not there now, but it seems like that is his hunting ground. So she will be back the next morning to to catch him. And Dell also comes back the next morning to investigate more. And actually, while she's like pulling into the club, she gets a, a phone call. Her phone rings, an 888 number. Hello, what money do I owe you? She says an answer. <laughs> And the voice on the other line chokes in a laugh. The telemarketer composes herself a quick moment later. This is Rebecca from Debt Solutions. I was calling to let you know about the low rates of our consolidation service. And then there's a pause. But I suspect if you're interested in our services, you have already contacted us. 
Yeah, Dell says, appreciating the frankness. I have a few consolidation services on my Christmas card mailing list, but most of the time the fees are equal to or more than than low interest balance transfers. I understand. Rebecca from Debt <laughs> Rebecca from Debt Solutions says, not bothering to continue with her script, which Dell is grateful for. Thanks for thinking of me, though, she says brightly. This gains another suppressed laugh from the telemarketer. Good luck and please consider debt solutions if you're ever in the market for a consolidator. Will do. Have a good day, she says and means it because Rebecca from Debt Solutions is just another person doing their job. And why should she have a bad day just because Dell's ex-wife trashed their credit rating? Extremely divorced. (laughs) I love her so much. God bless Rebecca from Debt Solutions. (laughs) But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again. Uh, I need to know the story here. What did she buy? How much of it did she buy? Where is Mary now? Uh, gotta know. Is Mary also a monster fucker? What's mm, going on? Maybe that's the third book. Oh my god. Oh, could you imagine <laughs> <laughs> a Mary spinoff? So there's something about Dell we kind of gather reading these first couple of chapters. Like she has this uncanny ability to kind of pick up on things i mean she mentions here where she knows like she has a feeling that this is where the women are disappearing from but she needs proof so she has this kind of like sixth sense for certain things so while she's on the phone with her friend rebecca from debt solutions she goes out to the deck and she looks underneath she's looking up at the underside at the algae green support posts holding it up for a moment it's a different world an aquatic one rich with the smell of silt and river water, and Dell can feel the pull of the current even though she's not particularly near the water. She's suddenly overcome by the crystal clear understanding that if she walks under the deck and through its shadows, if she gave into this watery pull, that she would not come out on the other side of the club, but somewhere else. And I really, I really like that bit. It's very good. I like the magic. Yeah, and uh, you know, just the implication that she is able to feel these things. I mean, from her not being affected by the the glamour spell that Mm -hmm. Syra had put on herself to this whole thing. We can see why she's being assigned to these kind of investigations. I wonder, do you think like the agency that she works for knew that she has a weird sixth sense or that was just a fun bonus for them? I feel like they probably knew because they approached her. Yeah, that was my thought. They had to have known, but I really like the, (laughs) I like the idea of them just like not knowing, like, oh yeah, like she's just like a, good at her job yeah. let's bring her in here and then it just so happens that all these like supernatural things happen i imagine that the uncanny investigators whatever they're called their recruitment process is they put somebody out there who's just magical and they see who vaguely notices and then they give them a call <laughs> just put somebody out there with the glamour and start like poking people in a crowd Yeah, because she suspected that they scouted her during one of her incredibly random jobs. Like, she worked construction and a whole bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. This poor woman working every single possible job just to pay off her ex-wife's debts. Jesus Christ, poor Dell. It's hard out there. (laughs) (laughs) Shit's rough. So Syra shows up, and she noticed that Dell felt something. You felt something under the deck. What was it? Describe it. And Dell says... That there was a door, sort of. If I kept walking there, it would be a passage. A veil I would walk through. Is that where they're being taken? Dell asks. Through some kind of door to another place? No, Cyrus says matter-of-factly. I'm certain they've been eaten. <laughs> I like the way she just states it. I mean, it says, you know, matter-of-factly. Yeah. She's like, yeah, 
<laughs> Someone ate them. Like it happens every day. <laughs> well, to Syrah it does. Yeah, I mean, apparently they do have a procedure in place where her eminence, like, contacts the families or something. Yeah, Del is worried about how she's going to explain this to the people who hired her, and Syrah's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I mean, we, we, we handle this stuff all the time. <laughs> how do you think her eminence gets that news to those families? Do you think that, uh, do you think she calls him on, on her shell phone? <laughs> oh, that was bad. Thank you. That was really bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they have to have some kind of connection with the Uncanny Society, and then the Uncanny Society probably just makes shit up and like falsifies records. Like, oh yeah, you know, they were just stabbed or whatever. Yeah. This week on BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> also, my my favorite Mimi line comes up pretty soon after this because Cyrus says that this monster that eats people, you could say we come from the same neighborhood. Del doesn't get a chance to think, much less respond to the fact that the hot girl she made out with last night is also some kind of monster or lives a monster-adjacent life before something that undoubtedly is a monster lifts her up into the air by the leg. Just that line, it makes me think of, like, the, the spinning crabs meme. Just like, huh? <laughs> I love how quick she was to accept what was happening. I mean, wouldn't your first instinct be like, what is this hot but delusional lady talking about? Yeah. Maybe, like, that sort of believability is something you gain when your ex-wife puts you hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's what has to happen. We need to get wives. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you're already there. Marn, you're, like, halfway there. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, Nicole, get a wife. <laughs> and... <laughs> All right, so I need to get a wife. <laughs> and she needs to get us into hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt just so we can do, like, a character analysis afterwards <laughs> and see how that changes us as, as people. <laughs> I think I think that would be good. All in the name of research. This is how dedicated we are to this podcast. Exactly. But yeah, I just thought it was very funny how quick she was to just accept that, you know, monsters are just a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also, I think that's a testament to how dedicated a monster fucker yeah. she is. Where she's like so ready for this woman to be a monster. This woman that she wants to fuck to be a monster. Really dedicated to the monster fucker lifestyle. As monster fuckers here. If... You met a hot girl that you had made out with, and she alluded to the fact that she might be a monster. How would you feel? Pretty good about it, honestly. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, uh, mark me, mark me down as scared and horny. Yeah. <laughs> I would feel like as long as I'm not dead at that point, like probably it's fine. Yeah. So Dell is scooped up by this fucking river monster. Oh my god. And she takes another opportunity to talk about her ex-wife. <laughs> Real quick before we get into that, can we just talk about how impeccable Kevin's timing is? Yeah. Kevin knows <laughs> how to really set a dramatic mood. <laughs> I'm like, good for him. Anyway, back to the ex-wife. <laughs> She just says, she thinks of the leafy sea dragon on the nature show she watched when insomnia had first set in after Mary left and before the cave of will had been cut off for non-payment. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Mary. <laughs> and uh, Joseph. <laughs> we get a description of, of the scary monster. 
where I guess like he is sort of related to Syra in terms of like species, but also not really because we do see her in her true form later on. It doesn't sound like they're that similar. Yeah. My impression was that it was either something to do with like the clans that we hear about once and mm. are, are never again. <laughs> Or it was like Jerrica didn't want to give up the ghost about Cyrus' true form in the mm. first book. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, because I mean, Kevin's more of a sea serpent, whereas Cyrus more of a mermaid. I mean, sorry, present company excluded, but not to indulge cis people here. <laughs> but like, maybe it's something to do with the fact that Kevin is male. You know, different different sexes of, of an animal like look different or have like significant differences between them. Mm-hmm. That's true. Kevin is also a guard. We do know that. Mm, yeah. Maybe he's, like, the equivalent of, like, the, the really jacked bodybuilders in the human world. <laughs> Kevin's a Chad. Oh my god. <laughs> the Chad Kevin versus the virgin Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I do like that he gets uh, offended <laughs> that she call she's calling him Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the whole altercation between Syrah and Kevin where she just like berates him and shit talks him yeah. and like scolds him into turning himself in. The only violence is Kevin grabbing Del and hurting her. But even then, it's he, he, he doesn't kill her. It is just Syrah like putting him in his place. And I really appreciated that. Also, the cutest detail about Kevin is that he has a rock collection. Apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah! <laughs> You've disappointed her eminence, Cyrus says. The serpent sinks just the slight, <laughs> the slightest bit lower in the water. And do you know what the other guards of the Northern Gate have done with your rock collection? <laughs> Dell has to be hallucinating at least some of part of this. <laughs> Such a weird detail to put in, and I really love it because it, it makes Kevin so much more relatable. Yeah! I also like the reminder here that Dell's butch. Yes. <laughs> Because Syra tells Kevin to drop Dell. Don't look at me like you don't know what her eminence wants. She wants you to stop eating maidens. And before you embarrass yourself further, drop the woman you're holding. There's a heavy pause. Does she look like a maiden to you? <laughs> and then he, he drops Dell. You can't be a maiden if you're divorced. <laughs> <laughs> maiden, Syra had said. So this is the culprit Dell's been looking for. The one responsible for the disappearances. Could it be so outrageous that they were swallowed up by a river monster? How is she going to explain this to her client? So yeah, so she just shames Kevin into turning himself in. It is very funny that Dell's like, how am I going to explain this to my client? When it's like, oh, buddy, your client is like the organization that investigates paranormal stuff. <laughs> like, they, they hired you because of that. <laughs> I find it funny that this organization would send somebody out into a paranormal situation not tell them yeah like they'll figure it out <laughs> it's fine oh so actually Cyrus like guilting kevin and she says i will open the gate and let you back in if you go of your own volition i won't have to <laughs> kevin is apparently not going of his own volition so then he he grabs dell again and Cyrus like oh well she's like yelling at him again and this part like made me snort Dell can feel it as she dangles precariously from her captor's mouth her phone and keys finally tumbling from her pockets and she's already calculating the cost of replacing the phone and the stupid key fob those always cost so much and all of a sudden she's hit by a wave of sadness that's her last thought 
how much it will cost to replace something she's not ever going to use again because she will be dead? Will there be anyone to tell the debt collector she's no longer in this world? Will they miss her? Will Mary know that she's gone? Will anyone? Like, oh, Del. She hadn't realized her life was so empty. Yeah. Del. Honestly, the saddest shit I've ever fucking heard. I fucking laughed so hard with, like, the key fob part, and then I was like, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) This is so sad. Actually, on New Year's Eve this past year, I, um... (laughs) So I do witchcraft, and I went to the park to get a stick for a wand, and I lost my keys. And I had to sit there and call a locksmith (gasps) to get back into my car. Oh my god. And I remember just sitting there and feeling like an idiot, and then having to pay $200. So the lesson is bring an offering when you're gonna take something. (laughs) Otherwise they will (laughs) choose an offering. (laughs) So the rest of the book can be summed up pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. in, in like broad strokes, but we'll get to the, the sex scenes and stuff. Yeah, the good stuff. But like the resolution is basically that Kevin did go back. I think she forced him back. Oh, he went through the gate. I just had to remind him what his other choice was. If he hadn't gone back, she would have sent him to one of the desert realms, which opens up a whole other realm of questions yep is the desert realm like a parallel world like like this sea monster realm will she just like throw him into the sahara desert is it like the sandworm planet in beetlejuice <laughs> jerica please i just really want to know about the sand realm <laughs> what goes on there but yeah, Syra takes Dell back into the empty club to find a first aid kit because Dell is injured. She's got some kind of slight head wound and probably a concussion and uh, a bunch of other scrapes and things. Syra helps patch those up, I think, partly with magic. Yeah, like just the kind of superficial wounds she treats with bandages and stuff, but then any kind of internal damage, she does use magic. Yeah. Real quick, I want to get into the whole blood situation. So Syra says something kind of funny. That only makes Del laugh more, trying to get a handle on herself to protect her bruised ribs and trying to get a rein on the sudden wash of fondness she feels for Syra. She's her rescuer, and she's magical and fascinating. And there's a cut on her lip from where her own teeth must have caught it, and Del wants to taste it. She doesn't even like blood, but she would kiss it from Syra's lips if she wanted her to. There's a lot of mentions of, I don't I don't know if I want to call it blood play, because it's not... Yeah. I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of hard biting in this book. Yeah, there sure is. There's a lot of, like, sharp teeth on lips in, like... I, I always think of her mouth as, like, a piranha mouth. And <laughs> I'm just imagining that, like, biting into my lips, even gently. That feels like a lot. Yeah, I was picturing, like, an, like anglerfish teeth. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same though. I'm like, I'm trying to, like, how how does this work? Is it just our regular teeth, but, like, slightly sharpened? They also say, like, she has, like, too many teeth, I think. Does she have multiple rows of teeth like a shark? Ooh. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little thing that made me laugh. You know, they're, they're being all flirty and stuff. Her leg's injured, so she goes to roll up her jeans. And Cyrus says, it will be expedient to remove them. What exactly will that expedite? Syra catches Dell's eyes. The look they share goes on a few breaths longer than it should. Bandaging first, flirting later, Syra says. Is that a promise? Dell, you flirt. Yeah. Syra looks down at bandages she's taking stock of in the case, but there's a smile curving her lips. 
They talk and flirt a little bit. And then Syra talks about her glamour and what she like really looks like. Ooh, right before that, though, there are a couple of things I marked as steamy. Okay. Del straight up asks Syra, does blood turn you on? Oh, yeah. In certain circumstances, Syra says, dropping the towel and settling her other hand on Del's legs. So she's crouched between her knees, hands on her thighs. She wants to spread her open. This is very dangerous. The want coursing through her. Is this the same kind of desire that pulled Kevin out of this world into the human one? To consume? To be filled up with the magnetic pull of the taste of humans? If Syra wants to bite the inside of Del's thighs, is that the same desire? To travel to a place she is not meant to be? Where she's not welcome? Where all she'll cause is disaster? Syra presses her lips to the inside of Del's thigh, a generous amount higher than her knee. Oh, spicy. Yeah. And then she gets into the glamour. Syra's really hot. <laughs> not gonna lie. Yeah. They're both really hot. They are. I also want to mention that Syra can look in a room and know how much there is of everything. Do we talk about that? Oh yeah, we kind of skimmed over that. Because <laughs> Del was doing that to like ground. She just like casually says that. There are 68 chairs, Syra says evenly. 14 lanterns, 29 bottles on the wall. And then Del asks how she knows that. And Syra's like, are you not worried I read your mind? We never actually get an answer of whether Syra can read minds or not. We don't. <laughs> yeah, it's like hinted at, especially I think in the in the second book, that she has some kind of telepathy going on. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily mind reading so much so as like super strong intuition. Yeah. But yeah, so she just calls it instinctive resource gathering. So that's another fun little bit of information we learn about her species. Yeah. An interesting fish predator fact. Marn, do you want to talk about Cyrus' real form here? Yes, hang on, I have to go back to it. I got caught up on, on Cyrus' weird couching superpower. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I read that, I was like, that is such a weird magical power for like a fish person to have. <laughs> Imagine if that was like her only special yeah. ability. <laughs> <laughs> I can look at a room and just count things. It's it's the fish monster autism for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I wasn't gonna bring us into Claudia's conjecture corner where I say which characters I think are autistic and or plural. But yeah, since we're since we're talking about the counting. I mean, yeah, Syra is a little bit autistic coded, I think. <laughs> uh you love to see it. You love to see it. <laughs> But yeah, so she shows Del her true form. In her true form, she is a creature meant mostly for swimming, and thus her flowy moments already look out of place on land, no matter how humanoid her build. She was reedy slim, meant to slide between banks and through crevices, but her arms and legs muscular, meant to navigate currents, propel herself forward, her feet were not fins, though neither were they shaped like human feet, but wider, curved more like hands, claws. She goes through like a whole magical girl transformation. <laughs> she does. <laughs> where like her hair gets longer and her feet turn into claws when she's done transforming she she poses yeah. <laughs> in a very magical girl fashion yeah, exactly. and she gets talons there's a lot of discussion of the talons yes there's a lot of oh, a lot yeah of there's a lot of discussion of the talons jerica knows what the people want <laughs> yeah i like that del makes a joke <laughs> she says long nails are way too much work for me but i appreciate someone who commits to the femme aesthetic honestly mood <laughs> yeah yeah, I thought that was very funny, where it's like, monster, but still femme. Yeah, I love yeah. that. 
I love that it's a butch femme story as well as a monster fucker story. It's great. Best of both worlds. Hannah Montana was right. Wow. <laughs> it's extra funny because it's like, does Syrah understand what those terms mean? Probably not. <laughs> probably not, right? <laughs> I feel like that joke probably went completely over her head. That's a lot of jokes that Del makes to her do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forget what the other thing she says. Am I thinking of something completely different I watched? I'm thinking about Wrath of Khan. (laughs) (laughs) What were you going to say, though? I thought there was a scene in this where she makes a joke and she says that was a joke. But no, that was that was Kirk talking to uh, Savick (laughs) in in Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. (laughs) It fits, though. It does. It does fit. Oh, she does have multiple rows of teeth. Oh, she hey. does. Yeah, on this on the same page where they talk about her talents, it talks about her bottom outer row of teeth. Oh, wow. which implies to me that she that Syrah has multiple rows of teeth. Yeah. Haha. <laughs> nice. That's the good shit. Okay, let's talk about monster fucking real quick. Do your monsters need to be like somewhat humanoid, or we talking like monster fucking? Somewhat humanoid for me. Yeah, I'm. I, I yeah, I'm in. I'm in agreement. I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, show me a hot monster that isn't like humanoid. I feel like I, I've seen like an alignment chart for monster fuckers. I I definitely seen seen one. Friend of the network, Ty Awoth Keeper, is like the authority on this. <laughs> and I feel like if anyone has posted something, it's to that extent. It's Ty. Here we go. Okay. We do have a monster fucker alignment chart. Oh, good. So there's monster purist, which is the monster must be a classic horror movie monster, a societal outsider, and look distinctly non-human. There's monster neutral. The monster must be a non-human societal outsider character with some elements of fantasy, sci-fi, or horror. Then monster radical. The monster can be any character that's weird, inhuman, or evil. So then there's fucker purist where you must have sex with a monster in canon. So the example for a monster purist and fucker purist is Eliza Esposito yes. from Shape of Water. <laughs> I was going to bring up Shape of Water later. Yeah. Let's talk about Shape of Water now. I recently rewatched it. Shape of Water slaps, to be honest. It's yeah, not my it's favorite really Del Toro, but I, I like it. Oh, yeah. I, the first time I watched it, I was like, what the fuck is happening? But then the second time, I was really able to, like, appreciate it. And then also, okay smash or pass i say smash yeah but also no, do yeah. i say smash because i love doug jones <laughs> i do love his weird gangly body yeah that is fair his weird six foot four contortionist <laughs> mime body <laughs> i love doug jones but yeah i gotta say the aquatic man the what, what amphibian man and eliza both smash yeah yes my my theater going experience seeing shape of water was incredible because a bunch of us from my college went to see it at the oldest movie theater in baltimore Mm -hmm. and while we were there we saw the head of our college's english department in the theater (laughs) (laughs) and she like knew that we saw her because a bunch of us screamed and waved at her hard not to notice then (laughs) did she say hi yes she did (laughs) okay Back to the story. We get another bit of lore here or insight into Syrah's magical abilities. 
where she just fucking teleports them yeah. to Dell's place. Yeah. Uh, that never comes up again. No, it does. Because that's how she leaves. No, I well, yeah. in, the, in the second book, it never comes up again, does it? I it, don't know. I don't remember. Not in the same way? Yeah. I think it's mentioned where like she can disappear at any point or something, like whenever she wants. The way that I assume that she shows up at this lake property in the second book, spoilers, but <gasps> I kind of assume that she can just like transport herself between bodies of water. Oh, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you think that, like, she teleports by, like, moving through the water in the air? Oh. Or in Dell's very dank basement apartment? <laughs> she does say in the second book that, like, she becomes the water, yeah. or the water becomes her, or something like that. So I'm going to say that you're correct, and it was very easy for her to teleport into <laughs> Dell's dank-ass <laughs> studio basement apartment. Poor Dell. <laughs> Poor Dell. So yeah, so they're, they're back at Dell's place now. And so something that, that was very funny to me. Again, I don't want to say Mimi because it, it, it's intentional and intentionally funny. So they teleport and Dell says, what about my car? Yeah. <laughs> your Syrah laughs, teeth against Dell's shoulder. You're thinking about your car. Sometimes it's the mundane things that trip you up. Not that you've taken home a monster. Actually, she's the one who's taken me, Del says lightly, but then she kisses Cyrus' neck. You know you don't need the disguise, not here. She shows off her true form. Autistic code again, she's unmasking in private. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Del is also worried that Cyrus knows where she lives. And Cyrus like, no, I don't know where you live. You were just, you know. And so we're here now. <laughs> Which is an additional detail about the teleportation that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Jericho, please. <laughs> I'm willing to hand wave it, but also, yeah. Yeah. I'm really thinking about the funny alternative of this scene where instead of teleporting, they get into Dell's car and drive to her apartment. <laughs> and Cyrus <laughs> is just like half in monster form, like buckled into the passenger seat. Oh my god. <laughs> I wonder how far this club is from... Dell's place yeah. because spoiler alert, Syra does leave with Dell still in the apartment, and poor Dell is like broke as shit. Imagine if it was like really far away and having to like Uber all the way there during yeah. peak hours, so she pays like two hundred dollars just to get back to her car. I'm gonna make that my head cannon because I think it's funny and tragic. Yeah, which I think fits well. I'm sure that she maybe Ubers herself occasionally. She can just pick up someone on the way back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gig life. <laughs> At her apartment, Cyrus is like, you know, I shouldn't stay. It's not right. I'm not supposed to. And Dell asked for one more kiss. And they both know it won't just be one more kiss. But Cyrus is like, okay, just, just one more kiss. They're both playing like lesbian chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, who, who's going to be the one to make the move of like, will you stay? Then there's sex scene. Yeah, well, I want to get a bit more into the kiss. Ooh, okay. So I'll give you one more kiss, Cyrus says, voice rough. And she bites down on the joint of Del's neck and shoulder. Del moans under her, whole body arching against her when anyone sensible would be scrambling away. Cyra holds on, teeth digging into flesh enough that Del's blood is spilling over her tongue. She draws back just far enough that she can look at the marks, tonguing slowly over each one. Holy shit. Yeah. Terrifying, but also super hot. 
Do you think she has, like, coagulate saliva? Ugh, maybe. Like, if she licks over the wound, it, like, clots and heals up? I'm gonna say yes, just because she has healing abilities. Mm. Oh, true. So I will say yes. Del's chest is heaving, and Syra presses her cheek to the wound she's made. She slides her hands under Del's shirt again, venturing further this time to move over the muscles of her stomach up under her breasts, her fingers dipping under the elastic of Del's bra. Like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Take this off, Syra commands, her voice shaky even in her own ears. She releases Del's wrists, and Del pulls her shirt over her head quickly, then removes her bra. As soon as her breasts are bared, Syra bends her head to press her face to them, nuzzling in the space in between, feeling the warmth of Del's skin. Like, hell yeah, getting motorboated by a monster. <laughs> <laughs> so Del says, please don't leave. Stay long enough for me to take you to bed. Just once, please. And what will you do with me on your bed, Syra murmurs, her touch venturing lower down the planes of Del's stomach, hands resting on her hips, moving over the curve of her pockets. I'm not exactly a soft thing. I bet there are some parts of you that are very soft, Del says. And Syra has to pin her to the wall again just to make her pay for her insolence, mm -hmm. for her presumptuousness, for her... Del slides her leg between Syra's, presses her thigh up, and Syra cuts off the moan threatening to spill from her. Stay, Del asks quietly. Just this once, Syra says. Ugh. Knowing full well that once she lets herself be known like this, once she lets Del this close to her, once will not be enough. Ugh. I'm gonna throw something. This is so good. I really like the dialogue in this little exchange. Yeah. The dialogue in these books is very human and very, like, natural. Yeah. Perhaps I should have gone with natural over human. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, whatever. Now we get to the sexy parts. Though actually, first, I have a dreamy highlight. Ooh. There were moments in her life in the past several years when Del thought it was impossible she would ever want to touch another person. Touching, even casually, was a vulnerability she might never be ready for, not after the way Mary had stripped her of the ability to trust. <laughs> Extremely divorced energy still. <laughs> but there was a strange comfort in Cyrus' dangerousness, the transparency of the sharp places, all the ways she could wound Del. It was better to know. Knowing meant it wasn't a risk so much as a given. That is very dreamy. Also, it seems even in... I'm trying to... How human-looking Syra is right now, because she undresses her. Because I kind of assumed that the sequin top and stuff was, like, part of the glamour. And in her river form, she would probably be naked. Mm. Yeah, no, mm. I was just assuming that she just, like, wore something flashy to the club because it did say that um Dell and just her all black outfit kind of stood out because she wasn't really dressed for the club mm -hmm. so i'm just assuming it was a nice little bit of like foreshadowing that oh you know mermaid scales yeah. wink wink nudge nudge that's why i thought it was part of the glamour though because it's like it's scales yeah i also thought it was part of the glamour oh no see i just thought it was coincidental and it was enough for the author to be like wink wink it's mermaid scales mm. Uh, but no, she's just wearing sequins. So uh, at this point, I just think she's, you know, like the, the aquatic man from Shape of Water, just wearing clothes. So, you know, you can tell that she's not human because of the scales and everything, but still vaguely human shaped enough for her to be wearing clothes that need to be removed. I did think of her monster appearance a lot as the amphibian man from Shape of Water, except like yeah. more feminine a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. What do you guys think of her monster form, by the way? We didn't really discuss that. Well, they talk about her having muscular legs, and it's like, you know, I love a muscly lady. Mm -hmm. I'm only human. <laughs> <laughs> I like that her hair is, like, very long and, like, iridescent. I thought 
thought that was very cool. Yeah, they said it was like starling wings. Yeah. It looked black, but it was actually like a very mm-hmm. deep green. Yeah. And she has like the same deep green in like markings on her skin. Yeah. Like very she sounds cool. pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Would smash. I'm not crazy about the talon feet. I could take or leave them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm also not a foot girl, so, you know. Same. I just think of, like, imagine sleeping with somebody and they have, like, really long toenails. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, I think they had that bit on Seinfeld once. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, it just gives me the ick, and that's the same thing with this. I'm like, oh, you know, it's part of the whole monster thing, but I just, I don't, I don't care for feet. Yeah. Sorry to all foot fetishists out there, but that's that's not my cup of tea. Okay, so this was on Seinfeld. Uh, Kramer <laughs> says, how often do you cut your toenails? Jerry says, I would say every two and a half to eight weeks. And then Kramer says, because the other night, you know, I was sleeping with Mary and I rolled over and I cut her ankle with my big toe. <laughs> So wait, two and a half to eight weeks? Yeah, two and a half to eight. <laughs> Depending. Pretty big range there. <laughs> Jerry. Yeah, it, it gets it gets so steamy here. It does. See, she kisses the inside of Syrah's knee, then the softness of her smooth belly. Not quite scales, but definitely not skin. Cool to the touch. She was letting Dell touch her however she pleased, and though Syra kept her eyes locked on Dell, she was silent except for soft hitches of her breath. But when she touches Syra between her legs, Syra makes a low sound from deep inside her throat. When Dell looks once again into the unnerving depths of Syra's eyes, she sees her own want reflected back. It was the same, that first kiss at night by the river. How do you like to be touched? Dell asks. By you, Syra says. So oh my cute. God. It's like that little bit right there steamy and dreamy mm-hmm. i also like that Dell acknowledges that it's both sweet and not a real answer yeah <laughs> likely Syra does not give this intimacy freely or frequently and perhaps she sees it better to please a partner than risk coming at the situation from cross purposes discovering competing desires she's a little inexperienced but she wants it she knows what she wants or she doesn't <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was fun that she's, like, the more inexperienced and, like, implied slightly younger partner, but she's, like, the one who takes charge. I liked that a lot. It's a good dynamic. Yeah. Yes. She knows what she's about. And she's like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm super horny and I want you. <laughs> like, nice. Honestly, it's like that, you know. Yeah. I think everyone can empathize with that for their first few times. Yeah, she knows what she's about. <laughs> one thing about the word choice in this book more in the second book than this one they use the word cunt a lot i did notice that yep (laughs) it's a very fanfic thing really yeah yeah i use it in my fix all the time and it's not something that i like use like in my day-to-day but it's it's a very fanfic thing because like how many times can you or how many words are there for vagina you know before it gets boring just spice it up throw a little cunt in there well i mean we've learned a lot of the words for penis member <laughs> length hardness appendage manhood schlong schlong yes the the most romantic ding dong erection erection yeah <laughs> that too 
I guess you're I, But it's like how many words are there for vagina, you know? And I feel like using the word cunt, it's like more aggressive in a is. way. Yeah. Which makes it like hotter. I don't know. I I'm I'm cool. I'm cool with it in this context. I'm like, hell yeah. Oh, I'm not saying I dislike it. I, it just took me off guard. I mean it, I guess... it's a little it, startling, yeah. But it, it honestly did not phase me just because <laughs> Like it's this is this is fanfic. I mean, I read. I I mean, over the last year, I've read a lot of Ao3, and I guess none of the. Am I really gonna out the stuff that I read? No, but. Oh, <laughs> you can edit it out. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the let's say Heather's sensei. None of that ever used that word. Not that I've seen. Oh, all the Jujutsu Kaisen fics I read, all use them. <laughs> so, what do you guys think of this sex scene overall? I mean, I mean, we can kind of I, bite it in half here. The the part where Syra is being pleasured and the part where Del is. I very much enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I did find myself wanting in this first book for Syra to have touched Del. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted more of it. Like, I really enjoyed mm. what was in here. I've just, I just wish they gave, they gave us more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I will say, despite my gripes about Syra not, like, explicitly touching Del during this, I find the dirty talk and, like, get yourself off just by rubbing yourself against me, that, that hits. <laughs> but it's the, it's the thigh riding mm -hmm. for me. Like, oh, like, the way that does it for me mm -hmm. is just... Oh my goodness, I'm blushing. It was good. It was very good. I appreciated that. Yeah. Marin, do you have any steamy highlights here? Ooh, I think most of mine are in the second book because this scene is so short. It is. I wanted like 10 to 20 more pages of the, of like the first book. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I was like, oh, please, just like one more scene, two more scenes. Yeah. Or at least, like, you know, because this is short, like, make it just, make, just make it longer, you know? Give us, give us everything. Give us, give us all the, all the juicy stuff. I have to wonder, like, is Jerrica under a page limit? Oh, oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, because, I mean, both novellas are just about the same length. Yeah, one is 68 pages and one is 74 pages. Let me look at the other books in this series and see how long they are. I don't think that there is a page limit. Interesting. Whispers in the Woods, 134 pages. Into the Horizon, 78. She mm. Came from the Swamp, 104. Mistress she in the came Mirror. came from the Swamp. She, oh, I bet she did. Yeah, you can't just say that. Now I'm interested <laughs> in She Came from the Swamp. <laughs> Mistress in the Mirror, 80 pages. And What a Lovely Sight, 108 pages. Ooh, that one's a poly one. Oh. A monster trio paranormal romance. Get on that one sometime. Oh, I did think it was interesting that there's a lot of dialogue in the scene that implies that river monsters only have sex to breed? Yeah. Yeah. I won't be bred. Yeah. Cyrus says, no one touches me this much. And Del asks, not your lovers. And Cyrus' answer is, I won't be bred. It feels like Cyrus really like trying to come to terms with her own like sexuality. A little bit, yeah. In like a very gentle, like not making it a real part of the story, at least in this book kind of way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. Her conflicting feelings, I guess, aren't about, you know, Del being a woman, just the fact that she's a human. Yeah. 
I mean, it's kind of a play on that. I mean, one of the reasons that queer people love monsters and monster stories and monster romance stories is because, you know, society tells us that we are ghastly and unlovable, you know? Yeah, I was gonna say earlier, I think it's really interesting that, like, these novels do, like, the forbidden romance, but from both ends, Mm -hmm. like... Mm-hmm. Syrah knows that she's probably not supposed to be with a human, and Del also knows that she's probably not supposed to be with a monster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did like that Syrah has like super strength. Yeah. Yes. And she brings oh, when she up. was like, you can put all your weight on yeah. me and take it. I was like, I'm going to throw so something. Hot. Oh, uh. so good. I just okay, the dirty talk is so good. Mm-hmm. And I love how it even mentions where Syrah's like, I don't know where this is coming from, but like oh, I'm yeah. with it. <laughs> Again, the dialogue is really good. Yeah. It's so good. Syrah pulls Dell on top of her in answer, and the restless roll of Dell's hips doesn't escape her. You want it? Syrah asks, pressing her thigh between Dell's legs, rocking up. Dell groans. You want to come like this, rubbing off against me? Are you that desperate for it? Yep. That gives me just the the thousand mile stare. Yeah. I'm going to throw up from this being so good. (laughs) Also, like, when Del is fingering Syra, so she started, like, very gently fingering her, and then Syra starts, like, getting into it, and Del says, shh, I'll give you more. Del speeds up her thrusts, and when Syra's thighs drop open, Del adds a second finger, which makes Syra's knees squeeze in. Yeah? Wait, yeah, Del murmurs, bending Uh low to kiss her belly. That good? Oh, yeah. The dirty talk is so good. Google started giving me pizza place. (laughs) Like, um, (laughs) started giving me the address of some pizza place in (laughs) Wayne. Never had it be this active. I don't know what's doing it. It's horny. I guess. It's like, oh, I'm, um, I'm a real monster fucker, too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read the actual line about Syra being, like, really strong. Mm-hmm. When Syra pushes against her back, Del lets most of her weight rest there. Syra thinks Del must be afraid of hurting her, of squishing her. I'm so much stronger than you, Syra murmurs against Del's ear. You can't hurt me. Give me all of your weight. Let it all rest on me. Let me show you how much I can take. Oof. Oh, shit, Del says, and the incremental pressure is so little, so light. You can ride me harder, Cyrus says. You can ride me as hard as you want. You can't hurt me. Jeez. Oh my god, it's just so good. Okay, I, I once again do have to be the English major here and <laughs> be like, oh, it's also really cool metaphorically because Del feels like she can't put her weight on anyone else <gasps> metaphorically. Ooh, Ooh, I didn't think about that. That's very good. And is like literally being told, you can let yourself rest on me. It won't hurt me. I, I was too blinded by horny to <laughs> do any kind of critical thinking. <laughs> Listen, I have an English degree. <laughs> what else am I using it for? <laughs> oh, and then we get to what is my favorite part as a monster fucker. The tongue. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you'd want my tongue inside you, Cyrus says, unsure where this compulsion to dirty talk is even coming from, except that she finds she wants to push Del to see if there's somewhere that's too far for her to give her what she's asking for, even if she doesn't know the whole picture. It's longer than you think. Longer than you can feel when we're kissing. Not like a human tongue. I bet you'd like to feel it inside you. Feel how I can fill you up. Feel how I could caress that soft, sensitive part of you. The part you're jamming down against my thigh. See if I could lick you until you cry. Yeah. Oh my god. 
I'm getting red. <laughs> I think I like the imagery and the dirty talk more than I tongue inside. I don't know. I, I guess I, I, in the moment, I didn't really contemplate. Now I'm like, I don't know how that would feel. Good. Now I'm thinking about, like, what the fuck is the anatomy of Cyrus' mouth? She has multiple rows of teeth and a tongue that's, like, twice as long as it feels like from the outside. <laughs> Maybe her tongue, like, goes all the way down her throat and can come back. It rolls up like a like a fruit by the foot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That was kind of how I was picturing it, actually. Now yeah, that same. It. <laughs> it just, like, unrolls out of her mouth. Uh, it does oh. say, like, Syra licks her, letting her tongue, the thing that makes her look the most like a serpent, unfurl, distinctly inhuman. Unfurl to me says, open in the fruit by the foot. Yep, exactly. Yep. <laughs> it's canon. So Syra keeps going with a dirty talk. She's a natural at this. Are you going to come for me? Syra asks, rubbing yourself against me with your pants still on. I bet you'd like to know what it would feel like to slide your wet cotton against my scales, wouldn't you? Del whimpers, tucking her face into Syra's shoulder. You think you could sit on my face? Let me get my tongue deep inside you? Risk getting my teeth on your most sensitive parts? Let me see it. Let me see how much you like rubbing yourself against me. Oh my god. As a word choice, I do appreciate describing Dell's climax as exquisite. I yeah. really like that too. Like, mmm, chef's kiss. Dell's climax is exquisite, her hips never ceasing their rocking down even as she shudders and moans until all of her weight drops against Syra. And then she like drops all her weight on Syra and she's like, sorry, give me a minute. And Syra says, I told you, you're so light. Whew. And then Dell just falls asleep on her, which is very cute. Yeah, it's very cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, where Syra knows she shouldn't stay, but she stays anyway. When Del wakes up, Syra is just amazed that she still wants to, like, touch her and see her and, like, interact with her, even in her, like, inhuman form. I love that Del offers to make her breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Syra's like, no, I don't, like, I don't eat, <laughs> like, I don't eat human food. It's fine. <laughs> We never actually learn what she eats, do we? Because at, I think in the second book, she jokes about eating humans. Yeah. yeah. I have to assume that she, like, hunts fish or something. Yeah, she's a pescatarian. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to assume that if she has multiple rows of, like, sharp teeth, she definitely eats some kind of meat. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, that's that's carnivorous as fuck. Del thanks Syra for showing her how she really looks. And this was very dreamy for me. Syra blinks at her and after a moment nods. Thank you, Syra echoes, for seeing me. And then she fades away into the bushes like Homer Simpson. <laughs> and the last line of chapter nine. Shit, Del says into the hush of her now empty apartment when she remembers about her car. Yeah. Yeah, poor, <laughs> poor Del. That's also like a very queer allegory thing. The like, thank you for seeing me. It, it really is. I just, I appreciate queer writing so much. So yeah. much. The other queer story we read, I believe, is by a straight woman. This is the first queer story that we have read by a queer author. Also, I don't want to get ahead of myself or anything, but I do feel like some of the best overall writing has been in the books about queer characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I, I enjoy. That would make sense to me. <laughs> Same. Yeah, because at this point, we've read... A fair amount of books and there's so much more to shit on in the hetero novels than yeah. there are in the queer ones 
queer romances. They're just so good. They are. My office mate who knows about this podcast, right before we read Love Me Whole, I was telling him how I was like so excited to get to that book next, especially because If I Break was such a fucking drag. And I was saying I was especially excited because it was a queer story. And he was like, well, you don't know that it's going to be good or or better. I was like, I do, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's three weeks later now and an envelope slides under Del's door. And I think it's hilarious because she immediately assumes it's like a debt collection thing. Yeah. Del cursed is racking her brain for what bill must be so late that they're hand delivering a notice. (laughs) But her hands are wet because she had just been washing dishes, I think. Mm -hmm. And she notices that the paper reacts to her touch whenever it's wet. So it's an envelope with a piece of paper in it, and all that's written on there is an address. But then when she touches it with her wet hands, there's a secret message that comes up, and it says, when you are here, I will meet you. And so, you know, it can't be from anyone else. It has to be from Syra. And that's exactly what happens. We end on something that I think is quite dreamy. So again, the letter says, when you are here, I will meet you. When, it reads, there's no expiration date. Maybe time doesn't even work the same way where Syra is. She'll go as soon as she can. She'll keep the house open in a browser tab and on her phone as a reminder. A promise. A riverfront vacation with a river monster. Del laughs and presses the paper close in an overwhelmed, overjoyed kiss. For just a moment, it feels like the coolness of Syra's mouth against hers. Yeah. I love that. I really like that ending. I think it's nice. Yeah, Yeah. me too. So that's the end of book one. (laughs) Real quick. Mm -hmm. I have two things I want to say. One is that she has a note. She'll keep the house open in a browser tab on her phone as a reminder, a promise. And I just wrote a note that says, like, for my ADHD ass, that would disappear in, like, two days. Oh. Like, not even because I removed it, just it would leave yeah. my vision forever. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and the other thing is that I thought of two puns while we were talking. <laughs> my weird brain loop was, like, you know, you saying this couldn't be anyone else but Syra. I was like, what if this is like some elaborate prank? And I was like, oh, it's queer baiting. <laughs> <laughs> the other one was was uh, <laughs> an arrangement of River Monster Cunnilingus. Call that shark coochery. <laughs> God damn it. Anybody? <laughs> Book two. Quitting this podcast. <laughs> Can't believe this is the episode that does it. So I don't know if it says how long after. It basically picks up where it leaves off. Yeah. yeah. It's like a couple weeks later. Dell finally takes time off. She looks up the house on Google and realizes that it's, you know, by the river. And so she's going to take her nice little weekend vacation with her river monster girlfriend. Yeah, so she makes it to this, like, super fancy neighborhood. I marked this down as dreamy. So she's thinking about Syra and how, you know, she's otherworldly and everything. Syra, more at home in the water than Del would ever be. Syra, who lived in some underwater world. How could she long so deeply for someone she had only briefly held, who belonged to fantastical dreams? Yet Del had touched her, tangled with her in bed. If only their fiery encounter had left scars, then Del could trace her fingers over them when she doubted that any of it had been real. Yeah, I highlighted that as dreamy too. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. It was good. So she's alone in this house and she goes outside and she sees Syra outside by the water in her very human form. She like comes out of the water, right? Because she initially comes into this house and there's like nobody here. 
and she waits around for a little while. Yeah, she goes into the house and then she kind of goes down to the river and then she goes back inside. Yeah, because it's not until night when Cyrus shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she goes back into the river and then she goes back inside and then she comes out at night when she can't sleep and that's when Syra comes out of the river. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. Very hot too. It reminds me of, y'all remember the Beowulf movie from like 2006? Oh god, yep, I know exactly where you're going with this. Yep. I do not know. Yeah, the, who was it, Angelina Jolie probably? Yeah, Angelina Jolie. (laughs) Yeah, the mother of Grendel, like, coming out of the the Mm -hmm. water. Very much that. Let me see if I can find a quick picture. So it's weird, because that was, like, the, like, motion capture animated Beowulf movie. Mm -hmm. So it kind of looks like a PlayStation game. (laughs) It does. I remember this looking better. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I found a video called Angelina Jolie is a hot demon flame emoji. Beowulf makes a deal 4K 60fps. I doubt this is 4K, but go off, I guess. Oh, oh god, it really looks like a PlayStation game. It really does. Like a PS3 game, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have nipples. Oh, I don't think this is in English. <laughs> it's definitely in, like, German. Yeah. <laughs> also, no, she does not have nipples. Okay, I just wanted to see her get out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> She really does just, like, raise vertically out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she, she encounters Syra. Whose hair is bright red again, apparently. I don't know if I caught that in the first book, honestly. Yeah, I also didn't know if I caught that. Yeah, I, I remembered because they're like, oh yeah, her hair is, like, dark green and iridescent. And in this book, it's like, her hair is the same bright red it was the night they met. And I was like, what? Was it red? I assume it's like in her human form. Yeah, that's what I assumed. I just yeah. like I guess they didn't call attention to it. I yeah, I couldn't remember it being established in the first book. I was just like, oh, I guess. So Syra says something along the lines of like hearing about the, some of the cases that Dell's been working on with the Uncanny Society, mm-hmm. and I think it's very funny because yeah, like they literally just threw Dell into a situation and. We're like, all right, have fun. And then it ends up being like a supernatural thing. Yeah. And so apparently Dell had an encounter with some kind of shapeshifter. And there's just a very short, like three sentences about that whole thing, which I thought was very funny where it's like, here's a little thing that happened that we're never going to talk about again. Yeah. Yeah. It's mentioned that they like specifically put her on the shapeshifter case because she can see through people like magically changing their form. Yeah, when they brought up this shapeshifter, when there was like supernatural stuff going on later, I thought that might tie into it. But no. Nope. They just wanted to bring that up. Which I thought was very funny, but it's brought up because Cyrus like, oh, I've heard about, you know, your success with all these cases. When Dell's pretty sure that news of that wouldn't have reached wherever Cyrus from, so it's pretty clear that Cyra's been keeping tabs on her, Mm. which is very cute. And so then there's a rustling in the hydrangeas, and suddenly this young woman stumbles out of the bushes asking for help. So Cyra asks if someone had hurt her, and the girl says, there's something in the place I rented. It said terrible things. And so they bring her inside. Her name's Natalie, and she just wanted a weekend away from her terrible, very stressful job. And she goes into this house and she starts hearing voices like it's clearly haunted yeah she's a paralegal is her job yeah yeah she says that a couple times 
I would honestly be so pissed if I had like a one day vacation. Yep. And I went to this Airbnb and it was fucking haunted. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine? Also, like, that shit's not cheap, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, she did mention something about it being cheap, I think. And oh. she, th- that's probably why, because it was haunted. <laughs> Still, what's cheap on Airbnb? Like 50 bucks a night plus the hidden fees? So it ends up being like 90. Yeah. And then a cleanup fee of like 200. <laughs> <laughs> the whole ghost plot can be summed up pretty quickly. This entire book, for the most part, is just this ghost plot. Yeah. Marn, as our resident ghost expert here, do you want to sum up this ghost story? Yeah. So it becomes like a ghost mystery plot where Syrah goes in and checks out the house and, like, finds that there is this, like, spirit there. She yells at the spirit because <laughs> that's apparently... She, she stays yelling at these <laughs> yeah. supernatural creature beings. Apparently that's, like, her solution for all supernatural problems. Yeah, just yell. Also, I do want to mention that what Natalie was hearing was a voice saying, you will get what you deserve. Yeah. It's like, ooh, spooky. But also maybe a little affirming. Yeah. Well, that's what it ends up being. Yeah, it ends up being affirming. <laughs> Del stays behind to, like, watch HGTV with Natalie and, like, help her calm down. Yeah. Which is very yeah, funny. She makes her, like, tea with milk and then they watch Million Dollar Homes or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, this is my cure for, like, insomnia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she says something about, like, watching rich people make terrible decisions. <laughs> so Syrah basically yells all these questions at the ghost who only answers back with you will get what you deserve. And she's like, well, this is beyond my pay grade. And so she goes to Dell and is like, <laughs> you work for, like, an organization that solves supernatural mysteries. You need to call someone. <laughs> Yeah, because she says that she doesn't fuck around with human stuff like that. Like, she doesn't fuck with witches or human spirits and stuff. She hates witches. Yeah, well, she does have some experience dealing with human spirits because a lot of people drown, which was also, I feel like, an interesting thing where it's like, oh, you know, just just more lore and world building. But overall, she she doesn't fuck with human magic. Yeah, and so then Del is like, well, like, my organization sometimes talks to the this other organization that's called the Menders and like maybe they could help us because it sounds like they fix things. So she calls them and this witch Maddie comes out to deal with the ghost. I do want to mention something that made me laugh. Yeah. So after Syrah goes into the house, she says, I think the spirit is trying to draw you back to the house. It's fastened onto something about you. And then Natalie says, I'm just a paralegal. I don't think it cares about your job, Dell says gently. I'm going to try and see if I can get someone to come and fix this. Like the rental agency? <laughs> no, Dell says, and then she goes to get her phone. <laughs> There's also that moment where Syrah and Dell are like outside and they see Natalie being like pushed over the edge of the deck by the ghost. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like trying to reel her into the house. That ruled. That was, yeah, that was pretty cool. Also, while they're watching HGTV, Del thinks to herself, as Syrah departs and House Hunters comes on, Del suppresses a laugh. Ghost House Hunters. Now that would be something new. Except no, it wouldn't. Because obviously Del has never heard of the hit show Paranormal Home Inspectors. <laughs> <laughs> as I was reading it, I was like, surely that's a thing already. <laughs> 
there was a Canadian TV show that ran for one season called Paranormal Home Inspectors. It was a ghost hunting show that also had a segment where they had a home inspector come in and just check out all the things in the home and just joylessly debunk everything on the list. But they put that guy first and then they have a psychic come in after who is an absolute shit show she she diagnoses every house with like seven ghosts holy shit then they do the running around in the dark and things are going off section and then they present all of this evidence to the family who owns this house (laughs) and they present it in that order though so they say so brian found all of these issues with your home and the family's like oh Okay, but our psychic Nadine found this, and it's just nonsense. And the family is almost always like, oh. I'm going to make my brother-in-law watch this with me next week at the beach. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know what you think. It sounds so good. (laughs) It is truly something. In the first episode, this family hears, like, all this, like, this, like, scratching and inhuman noises, like, in their attic. And it turns out that it's raccoons who've, like, burrowed into their attic and have just started fucking. Nice. Oh my god. <laughs> I I googled it, and the first thing that came up was an article called The Best Worst Show on Netflix is Paranormal Home Inspectors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jenny Nicholson did a video about it, and it's, oh. uh, it's such a masterpiece of terrible television. That sounds amazing! So yeah, I just need to share that. I was thinking of uh, Zach Baggins' documentary that he made about the haunted house that he bought that was just like super infested with black mold. Oh no. But like the entire documentary is him being like, oh, my house was so possessed. I had to like have it condemned and like torn down. (laughs) So yeah, this woman from the Menders comes and you don't know at first that she's a witch, but she is carrying a ghost in her car. Yeah. Yeah. At first I thought that this person might be a vampire. Yeah, because she said that it would disappear when day comes Mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah, but ghost, I guess, makes more sense in the end. Yeah, she's like relocating like a spirit that she just like has with her in her car, which is very funny. Yeah, I like the idea that she has to manually transport a spirit. It's really good. In apparently a really shitty car because ghosts can fuck with new cars too Mm -hmm. much. I enjoy Maddie. I think she's fun. Yeah, I like Maddie a lot. Yeah. But yeah, Maddie comes to check out this whole ghost situation. Yeah, and she says specifically, like, she's not going to exercise it or anything. I want to break the record and let it go where it needs to go. That's what is best for them if they're able to prove they have a neutral agenda. So I do want to talk about Maddie's first encounter with with the ghost. Mm -hmm. They all go into the house together, and the ghost kind of acts out. And then Maddie says, oh, no, it's because he's overwhelmed a little bit. Like, there are a lot of people here. And so Maddie instructs Natalie to grab a pen and paper not pencils because they would melt and the ghost actually sends a message it just it's just a paper that says sorry yeah yeah <laughs> i find that very cute this whole ghost plot as like i i again i kind of sped over it but it, it did have very charming parts i think yeah and then maddie yeah. as a character is very fun i like the ghost plot and i like the romance i would rather they stay separate yeah. 
maybe two separate books but i don't hate that they're together i feel like if this were longer then there would be more room to blend the two together instead of it being kind of just like two things squashed together and so they actually go back to the house and by they i mean maddie and natalie because you know they said too many people will overwhelm the ghosts so we're gonna go take care of this and put him into some kind of lamp or something because mm-hmm. ghosts liked it like an on and off switch. I love that yeah. part where she was like, yeah, ghosts like to turn things on and off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, just very little tiny silly tidbits that I really enjoyed like that. Yeah. So Syra and Dell have a moment alone and things get steamy. Before that happens, though, I did highlight something that made me laugh, but also hurt. Syra, we learn from some kind of telepathy or intuition or something. We get like her internal monologue where she thinks about Dell's financial situation and how, you know, she, her name isn't under all this stuff. Like, why is she taking responsibility for Mary's situation? She had not told Dell that she knows of her struggles with money, the extent of it, and the fullness with which the monetary crisis was not her fault. What baffles her is why she is paying for what she did not spend. Credit and bills are a simple human means of control. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's She's so true. Wrong. So anyway, I want to be a part of this advanced mer civilization where credit and bills aren't a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I would like to welcome you all back to Claudia's Conjecture Corner. <laughs> Because, listen, I understand metaphors about trauma. I very much do. But sometimes you construct a statement with big plural energy anyway. Dell was someone else before this other human hurt her. Syra can see it in the way there are moments when Dell does not seem to recognize herself, where there are fragments that make up her being that have been broken apart and have not yet reformed perfectly. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a little bit what it's like. I didn't even catch that. That's good, though. Yeah. Oh, I'm always looking. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I've made a joke tweet about this before where it's like a movie has two characters and I'm like, oh, big plural energy. <laughs> I actually have caught myself doing that a couple of times with certain things. I'd be like, plural energy. <laughs> so because Natalie and Maddie can come back at any moment, Syra has to stay in her human form. But they get, they get mm. a little spicy, starting in the kitchen, I think. Yeah, in the kitchen. Yeah. I do kind of like the thrill of we could be interrupted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very good. I do like how Dell says, you know, I was once quite a charmer of pretty ladies. And it's like, babe, you still are. I like how Syra <laughs> is slightly annoyed about that. She's <laughs> like, mm. Syra makes a wordless protest against Dell's neck, chasing away the idea that Dell could have touched anyone else. Not now. She does not need to accept that Dell exists outside of this moment, past or future, simply the two of them now. Yeah, so it gets a little steamy, but not <laughs> as steamy as Del would like because Syra is not in her true form. What are you thinking about? Del asks as Syra thumbs over her nipples. Keeping you here, Syra says. Against the kitchen counter, Del asks. Close to me, Syra says. Oh. I love the intimacy in this book. Yeah, it's good. So good. I think that's what really gets me. Yeah. Yeah, the intimacy and then just like Syra's possessiveness really gets me too where mm-hmm. i know i've said in other episodes that i'm like oh like possessiveness but i i don't know Listen, it's different when it's a woman it's true <laughs> and it's different when it's a river monster exactly Very true i guess it's like kind of the whole 
animalistic thing again. I mean, Syra is a predator. Multiple rows of teeth and everything. She's a predator. And there are multiple times in this book and the last one where she says something along the lines of being able to hurt Del, like having that being able to do so. And so there's this one bit here where she thinks about what Del would feel like in the water. She could drown her. Humans are so inflexible, unable to accommodate themselves to the intersections of magic in the world. Their fragile bodies not made to cross back and cross again. And yet there is magic Syra could give her to claim her under Cyrus protection. It would change Del. It would change both of them. Syra does not wish to shape Del into anything other than she is. So I love that where it's like, oh, I could kill you, but also I won't. But also I can make it so that you're not in a lot of danger all the time, but I don't want to change you. I really love in this book the ways that it's discussed, how relationships like change you. You know, when we get to the end, I'm so excited to talk about that because I fucking love it. Oh my god, yes. I thought when she said there was like magic she could do to make Del hers forever and like keep her and change her, I thought that it was going to be a shape of water thing where she was going to make her into into a river monster. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought too. So Marn, were you steamy highlights here or in the water scene? In the water scene. Okay, okay. well I mean, yeah, we've, we've, we've covered most of this. I mean, they just get a little frisky in the kitchen. I do have a, a couple of things here. Yeah, go for it. Oh my god, it's like it's like three whole paragraphs. This whole scene, honestly, yeah. is just very good. It's good. Oh fuck, Del gasps and her hips snap forward, drawing Sarah's fingers just a little deeper, soaking them with Del's slick. Draws the slippery warmth up over Del's clit in fast, hard circles of her fingertips, and Del whimpers, a sound Sarah wants to swallow up. Instead, she licks the bite mark, and Del comes with a gasp, her body going tight and then trembling. Sarah is greedy, and she does not stop touching Del, even when she whimpers in overstimulation. The slickness is mesmerizing under her fingers, Del's body soft and swollen and heated through. Del grunts a desperate, almost pained sound. Heat overtakes Syra. Maybe she can climax like this against Del without even being touched directly in her most sensitive places. It passes through her like a shudder that doubles back on itself, a wave that's both forward momentum and a returning pull. She is afloat and drawn under at the same time, her thoughts clouded except for the shining clarity. Del's warm breath against her cheek. I love so much about that. Yes. I love the overstimulation. I love the mental orgasm that Syra gets, which is very good. But the mental orgasm, especially because like, that's something I've experienced. And I thought, I've never seen that written before. I thought that was very good. Very like, oh, that's that's me. I think you should leave voice. That's me. (laughs) Oh, really? I really liked that, like, immediately afterwards, like, Syra goes from, like, yay, like, we're we're having sex in the kitchen, this is great, I'm really horny for Del. Immediately afterwards, when they're, like, lying in bed together, she's, like, awake and, like, stressing <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh no, this isn't allowed, and there's, like, so much dangerous magic in the world that could hurt Del, like, that she's gonna have to deal with, and, like, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, and also, she really feels the pain that, like, Del holds in her heart, and one of my favorite bits, 
The slip of Del's throat under her teeth draws Syra back to the moment. She will lay Del down in the bed, and she will wring sounds of pleasure from her, and with each climax she draws out of her, she will bleed this tension, this ache from Del, to distill her to the soft heat Syra sees in her eyes all the time, the potential for such glorious warmth. Uh, ladies, you ever have an orgasm so good it cures your trauma? I was just gonna say, yeah, she loops all the way back around to being horny again. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wasn't thinking of puns this whole time. I just started doing it during this podcast, but I did actually have two potential puns for oh my God. orgasm that cures your trauma. Uh, BDSM EMDR. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, or cre- cream DR. <laughs> God. Uh. And then I wrote, are those funny? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly I need to sleep with Zyra and then I can just like grab my bottle of Wellbutrin and yeet it into the trash can. <laughs> so Maddie and Natalie come back and they're like, yeah, you know, it worked. You know, the, the spirit will leave or it won't, but it's chill now. And we learn that the spirit is actually really nice and was trying to be very affirming where it's not like you'll get what you deserve so much as it was. You will get what you deserve. I loved that. <laughs> I did love that. I thought that was very funny. Oh, the thing I was talking about earlier with, like, the point of view weirdness in this book mm-hmm. is specifically, like, when Maddie shows up the first time, like, Del and Syra go in the haunted house with her. Yeah. yeah. Even though Syra is like, I'm not going back there and I don't want Del to go back there. <laughs> it's like, okay, you you definitely made a choice because you didn't want to introduce the third point of view character and I see you and yep. I understand <laughs> Yeah. I also really love how Syrah is genuinely reluctant to interact with Maddie at all Mm -hmm. because she is a witch. And how Syrah just acts like a really standoffish cat. Just kind of like like hovering in the distance (laughs) in the house and then like sidling up to to Del really quick. It's very good. (laughs) It's great. I love that. But the way that Del handled the situation was not unnoticed by Maddie. And Maddie actually says, hey, you should join the Menders. Apparently, you know, they get a stipend and an apartment that's paid for. (laughs) Uh, But... Uh, Syra does not want Del to join the Menders because she is not a fan of witches. She says they have like a lack of respect or, or like an arrogance or something in their powers and towards nature. Yeah, Del's like kind of intrigued by this job. Cool, because she's broke as shit and she wouldn't have to pay rent. <laughs> yeah, because she's broke and she wanted to pay rent. And uh, kind of a mood. And, and Syra is not. <laughs> having any of it nope yeah and so now we get to the water part yeah so let's talk about this water part marn give us your steamy bits yeah take it away (laughs) yeah they fuck in the lake Woo! (laughs) it's great Syra gets back in her monster form and they fuck in the lake (laughs) i do like the fact that Syra doesn't realize that del is cold in the water Mm mm-hmm because the water temperature, like, doesn't feel like anything to her because she's, like, a river monster. <laughs> yeah. I like how she, she makes a comparison about how Del doesn't, like, typically feel the air temperature on land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she makes the water warm for Del, but it's like, well, you could have told me that you were cold. <laughs> <laughs> Del was like, I thought that was obvious. 
<laughs> and then Syra, like magical girl, transforms again. Oh, but she has a tail this time. Yes, she reveals her tail. Oh, yes. the tail. Okay, ladies, tail, yay or nay? Yay. Very yay, I think. Yeah. 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 Yay. <laughs> the tail was very good. There are a couple of steamy, dreamy bits. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're like both, in my opinion. Syra says things like, let yourself belong to me here, yep. which, whew. And then her saying how essentially she and the water become one. And so Del isn't in any danger when Sai was with her. So like doesn't have to worry about drowning. She tells her to stop treading water because she doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. Del letting go of control and everything when clearly she puts everything onto herself all the time and just trusting Syra like this really did it for me. Yeah. I like the part about like her uh let me find it. Uh, starting at her ankles, Cyrus' tail wraps around her like a caress, then higher up her calf, and when it gets to her knee, starts again on her other leg. This isn't the current or the movement of a cattail. This is Cyra using it as an appendage, much an arm, but so much different. Solid and strange and exhilarating. Uh, yeah. The tail is very good. Yes. Yeah. And then I, I kind of immediately got pulled out of it because Del starts swallowing water, and yeah. I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate that, like, she comes out of that panic because Syra like like kisses her and like calms her down. Yeah, it's just so good. But I just I don't, I'm 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 not over the tail. It's good. Where <laughs> it's great. Dell rides her tail until she comes, and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> the tail has has like ridges on it too, like like the the classic like dinosaur drawing tail. Ripped for her pleasure. Cyrus also like surprised that like this is a thing that Dell is into. <laughs> I just I, I just want to read this. <laughs> Scales brush her inner thighs, and for the first time, Dell can see Cyrus' tail isn't perfectly smooth. There are bumps, protrusions, cartilage. The shape of it is like a mountain range, still shimmering with the light of her scales, illuminating the water with flashes of green. The flexing length slides between Del's thighs, presses ever so slightly up against her cunt. She clutches at Cyrus' shoulders. Really? She wants to ask. Do you want this? You want me like this? You'll let me? In response to the silent questions, to whatever Cyra must read in her face, she presses her tail up between Del's legs and begins to flex the coiled muscles of it, a perfect pressure so intimate like this, held in Cyra's arms, rubbing against the bumps on her tail between the lips of her cunt where she's slick, like the touch of a finger over and over, a seemingly endless slide, grooves, valley, and peak. And she moans as Sire begins to slide back down, and Del moans, water flooding her mouth, and for a moment she panics, remembering she's underwater, she can't breathe, and then they kiss, and she comes, and it's great. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's really good. Her climax is a leaping wild thing, surging up from the depths to breach the surface. Syra kisses her, mouths full of water, and one another, becoming indistinguishable. Good line. It's very good. A plus. It is. Also, here's the thing where I was talking earlier about how I was confused at which perspective we're in, where really she wants to ask, you want this, you want me like this, you'll let me. In response to this silent question to whatever Syra must read in her face, she presses her tail up between Del's legs. From earlier context, it feels like Del is supposed to be like wanting to ask those things, but it doesn't make sense to me for Del to ask that. Yeah. It makes sense for Syra to want to ask that. Yeah, yeah that threw me off too, reading it, and then also reading it aloud, it threw me off again. Oh yeah, wait, whose point of view is this section? Oh, it, it, it is in Syra's 
technically. But it's Del's silent question yeah. because Syra responds to them. Oh no, it is Del's perspective. I don't understand. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, I thought it was Syra thinking. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, you... she's she's in full monster mode right now. Yeah, she's doing something very vulnerable too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Regardless, though tail humping 10 out of 10 <laughs> the like the almost drowning thing like did pull me out of it because drowning is one of the few things in horror that gets me sometimes yeah <laughs> so i was immediately like uh-oh 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 <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that i like the rest of the scene yeah the magic that helps her breathe underwater is very strange i gotta say yeah, yeah, I don't understand it. It's just like, she just can. It, as long as she doesn't think about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll i suspend my disbelief, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's the power of horny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Have you ever been so horny that you just, that you could breathe underwater? <laughs> <could> breathe underwater? <laughs> Listen, my breathing is something I'm constantly thinking about. <laughs> no. <laughs> Desire brings them on shore. They get horny again. I really love this bit. She guides Del's hand to between her legs, filled with fire and need of showing Del everything, of being truly seen by this woman. Del groans in appreciation, a look of concentration coming over Del's face as she watches Syra, and it is easy to close her eyes here, half in the water, and let Del touch her in the way she would have killed anyone who had dared ever in her past. Anyone who had dared know her or presumed they had anything to give her. Great stuff overall. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love how much Del enjoys pleasuring her. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is super hot to me. I mean, that is like very steamy and dreamy to me. Mm -hmm. And then it gets full steamy when when Del says, I will get my mouth on you soon enough. Yeah. Yep. I really like Del saying, I like every part of you you want to show me. Yeah. Yeah. Just like affirming. Yeah, and, and and also hot. Yeah, hot and affirming. Uh. She climaxes like that, half in a dream of water and magic in a place where Del could always be hers. Yeah, because she has this mental image of, of Del like, eating her out underwater, which may be book three. Maybe book three. Here's hoping, because I want more. I mean, I guess that kind of brings us to the, the last few bits here. So, Syra tells Del the way that she can contact her whenever she wants. And that way is to drop a note into water. Any paper, any water, and it will get to her. I really like that. Yeah, it's yeah. cute. Well, I mean, my question is, how does it know to go to Syrah and not a different <laughs> lake monster? Maybe it's that Syrah is watching her so often. That's true, I guess. And the like glass of water allows her to just like grab it. I'd respond with new phone who dis. <laughs> new glass who dis. <laughs> okay, so it's time for Syra to go. You know, their their magical weekend is over and it was mostly interrupted with this whole ghost nonsense. So they're a little bummed out about that. I would have also been pissed about this. Oh, I would have been so upset. Yeah, same. I mean, if we're under any different circumstances, I'd be like, yo, this is kind of awesome. But no, I'm trying to see my river monster girlfriend. Yeah, who I thought I would never see again. Yeah. So, you know, Del openly says, you know, that she doesn't want Syra to leave. And it's like, so sad. And then you will be in touch. Cyrus says, and she meant it to be an invitation, but it is even less a request and more of a command. In touch. I like that, Del says. Like I could reach through the water and find you. She could, 
soon. Syra will not tell her this. She might not even tell her once it becomes true. I love that. Book three, but also very, just, I, just being able to touch her through the water. I'm just, it's very cute. Also, real quick, as somebody in a long distance relationship right now, quote, the knowledge that their weekend is temporary, that they must part, does not make the inevitable parting any easier. Mood. And also, surely time would stop if they stayed here long enough pressed mouth to mouth. Yeah, I like that that part also points out that, like, neither Syra or Del wants to talk about it because they're both really good at, like, putting up a a neutral front to a distressing situation. I love them. Yeah. I do like that Del has a couple points of realization in, in this book specifically where she's like, wow, I take other people's problems on myself a <laughs> <Yeah>. lot. <laughs> I should probably do something about that. Yeah. Del see a therapist 2021. <laughs> yeah. So Syrah had like packed the ca- the cabin they were staying in with a bunch of food and she just snuck it all into Del's car when she left. Yeah. Which is so cute. Because Syrah doesn't eat it. Like, she won't eat it. <laughs> She's packed Del's car with the food left over. While Del is in her presence, she will want for nothing. And perhaps someday, Del will always be in her presence. Del will never want, never be cold or hungry or unprotected. Yeah, that was very, very cute. Very dreamy. God. And then yes. we get to the part that we've been alluding to since, like, the beginning of the episode. Mar, <laughs> would you like to do the honors? Yeah, so Syrah is alone in the cabin, and you get these couple of paragraphs that say, The scales of her collarbones are itchy. She will shed some skin from that spot soon. Underneath there will be new growth, new scales, red-tinted ones. The scales that show on the bonded of her kind. It's so good! so fucking cute. Del will notice, but she will not know what the change means. Others will. They're basically fish married now. Yeah. It's very clear that they have a lot of feelings towards each other, but they don't like openly say it. And so, but, and so it's just, it's just like, this is a sign of just how much Syra loves Dell, even though neither of them have said it. Nicole, this is the first book we have read on this podcast where I love you is not spoken. Oh, wow. I was about to say that there is no marriage. But then I realized they just got fish they married. Did, yeah, they did get fish married. Sire got fish married. Del, Del doesn't know yet. Del's simply vibing. <laughs> Marn, every single book that we have read has ended in a marriage or in the case of If I Break, had a marriage within it already. That's wild. And almost every yeah. single time we're like, this is stupid. It shouldn't <laughs> have been in here because it doesn't feel earned. Yeah, it's dumb and forced. Yeah. I think the only ones that felt at least a little earned were Innocence Nine Month Scandal and Love Me Whole. And Love Me Whole was an almost 400 page slow burn that took place over two years. Oh my god. And there was a time skip. Yeah. I like fish marriage, personally. I think it's fun. Me too. It's very good. I think it's just like the whole thing with her physically changing yeah because of their connection i mean the way her body changes with the new scales and everything makes me think that you know if it were between her and someone of her kind it's like oh it's just a biological thing but no this is like strictly driven by emotion which whew, i loved it yeah and then it like clarifies that the whole court of lake monsters is gonna find out and like she might have she might get exiled yeah i want to know so much about 
like monster court politics. For real. Yeah, because I mean, it's very intense. There are so many things that could happen here. There are so many potential consequences. And I love this bit. She says, her devotion, her duty is now to Dell, her bondmate. And if anything challenges that, she will not hesitate to strike. God. To choose Dell over everything, over her own safety, over her own world. Like, damn. Cyrus stands at the edge of the shore and then steps in, her disguise melting away as the touch of the water goes up her feet, her legs, her hips, and shoulders. And when she ducks under, she is full and truly herself. She is not yet her new self, but she will be soon, the bonded. She had sworn never to be changed by another. Now, even in her anxiety, she welcomes it. She waits for the transformation as she waits for the time she and Dell will be together again. She will face the consequences eventually. That ending is so good, though. Legitimately, yeah. It's so good. I can't wait for the next book. I hope there is a next book. I hope so, too. There's gotta be. There's a little symbol at the back. Coming soon. Magic Mender is handcrafted. I Google that, fucking nothing comes up. Hmm. Because, I mean, this book came out this year. I know. So I feel like, you know, what? there's not going to be a lot of information for a while. But I, there are so many things in here that kind of hint at another book. Mm-hmm. They mention a lot of times the consequences of what Syrah's doing and, you know, having to introduce Del to her eminence and everything. Yeah. There's gotta be at least one. I think one more would wrap up the story nicely. I mean, I I want more of it just because it's just give it to me. Yeah. But considering the pacing of these two books and everything, one more book. Yeah. You gotta have the book where Del goes to the underwater lake monster kingdom and meets the court of lake monsters. (sighs) I'm craving that book because I want to I want to know this whole world that Jerrica Taylor has very obviously crafted. Yeah. Yeah. Give me that book. You know, I've I've dungeon mastered for games before. I know the reams of notebooks <laughs> that you have that you don't show people and that you never use. I want to see them, Jerrica. Mm-hmm. Jerrica, show me your books. What I think would be really funny is if they didn't actually put much thought into the world. They just <laughs> Just making shit up and throw it in there just for the funsies. <laughs> She's just bringing shit up randomly. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, fantasy monster court politics are extremely my jam. So I'm like, I want that book. I want that book so Oh my fast. god, yes. Yeah. So, Nicole and Marn, how about we move on into rankings and wrap things up? Ooh, yes. yes. First of all, Nicole and Marn, smash your pass on Syra, no last name given. Smash. Yep, smash. Smash in disguised human form and smash in river yeah. monster yep. form. <laughs> Martin Nicole. Dell, also no last name given. <laughs> Dell, no last name given. Knee, also no last name given. <laughs> smash. 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 Normally when I do a double smash, I, I say which one's higher. They're both great. I love them both. Yeah. yeah. They both do it for me in like in different ways. They're both good. I just love them. I really love them. They're so good. They're great. I like them together. I like them apart. They're good. They're a good couple. Please stay together. Please. So, Claudia, Marn, what would you rank this on a scale of one to five or zero to five <laughs> on steaminess? I'm going to give this a three and a half. That's that's what I believe what I gave Virgin to Redeem the Billionaire. I believe this is this is pretty up there for steaminess, but it doesn't cross into like 
Listen, <laughs> I've complained basically every episode that I want porn. <laughs> and this is porn. I'm still going to complain. I want, I want more. <laughs> more porn. <laughs> yeah, I was also going to ask if we were allowed to do halves because I was going to say three and a half. Nicole does tenths. Yeah, I was going to say 3.7. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Because... Yeah, I mean, we we talked about how we all wish that it could be longer. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, what we got. Mwah, oh, it's so yeah. good. Chef's kiss, give yeah. me more. I'll, I, I ate this shit up. So much so where, you know, it left me wanting more. It's like, you can't just give me an, a, an amazing appetizer. Give me the entree. Give me the dessert. Give me an espresso yeah. afterward. Yeah. You know, I need all of it. Very good. Okay. Now, what would you give it on dreaminess straight up i'm giving it a five damn yeah i think a five i loved the dreaminess in this book gays do it better i'm sorry straights it's true it's yeah absolutely i am going to give it a 4.6 just because there's always room for improvement (laughs) that's fair (laughs) but oh it's it was very good again my biggest complaint is that there just isn't enough (laughs) I mean, in the words of Britney Spears, give me more. Ugh, I mm, ate this shit up. Yeah. Okay, memeiness. I mean, we've gone, you and I have gone back and forth on what memeiness means in this, in this show. Is a book that is intentionally funny, does that count? Because in some ways, maybe this ranking is, should you read this because it's funny? But also, memeiness implies, like, unintentionally funny. I'm gonna give it, like, a two, two and a half. I think that it's it's a fun book and it's not afraid to be funny and silly. Yeah, I give this a, a two and a half. Yeah, I was going to say like a two because I feel like almost if not all of the humor is intentional. And like, the it, it's good. <laughs> it's good humor. Yeah, like the jokes hit. I can't think of any parts in here that were unintentionally funny no not that i remember at least we, we might have touched on something in the episode that i just forgot i mean yeah the jokes i think were very fun you know like the whole car situation and and uh mm-hmm. syra yelling at the ghosts and also kevin and just the name kevin all very good very enjoyable I did kind of like the the running thing. I think this was like the only thing that was unintentionally funny that I found funny. But like the running thing where Syrah has a bunch of just like random magic powers <laughs> to <laughs> never get brought up again. Like the teleportation and like seeing, like being able to count everything in a room. <laughs> what I think would make it truly Mimi is if jerica let us know whether or not all this or world building and lore is intentional or not if there's like no substance to it and if it's just oh i just threw random shit in yeah. there that'd be fucking hilarious yeah. yeah also gotta say this is the first book that we've read by a non-binary author oh hey yeah jerica is a she they i believe nice also she she's a birder and a chicken herder huh Ooh, i love chickens okay so I mean, any final thoughts? Jerrica, more, please. I, <laughs> Jer- I, Jerrica, I need it. Jerrica, where is the rest of the series? Or at least, where's the rest of the lore? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I really enjoyed this. I think it's a very good thing that our biggest complaint was we need more of this. Yeah, honestly. 
Jerrica, if you listen to this, come on the show. <laughs> okay, so that wraps up this week's episode. Marn, thank you for coming on. It was so great to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. I mean, I know I chose it off of a list, but like, <laughs> good good choice. Good book. Great job, Marn. <laughs> great job, me. <laughs> round of applause i mean i had never read it before i just like read the blurb but i was like oh that sounds interesting hey sometimes it just works <laughs> yeah it definitely did in this case marn where can the people find you you can find me on twitter at corpse revivers and you can find my other book club podcast dead letter society at dead letter pod on twitter fantastic nicole where can, where can they find you on twitter you can find me at Sexy Pagliacci on Twitter. That's S-E-X-Y-P-A-G-L-I-A-C-C-I. Claudia, where can they find you? At Twitter, I am at Punk Dyke, P-U-N-K-D-Y-K-E. Can't believe nobody had that at. You can follow us at the 3LW Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, all the socials, and on Patreon. So thank you for listening to this week's episode. Claudia, what's next on our list? Next week is uh, an odd one, Nanny and the Beast, which is your pick. Oh, yes. I forgot that I chose that book. Which is a Nanny ex-Russian mobster. Oh, shit. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. ghosts what about monsters or haunted houses evil furniture stores cannibalism doppelgangers childhood mysteries that involve a strange cult or a scary clown if you answered yes to any of the above you may be eligible to become a patron at the dead letter society's library of terrors dead letter society is a book club podcast about horror mysteries thrillers and all genre of things that go bump in the night Every episode, me, Marn, and my wife Alyssa pick a book from our Library of Terrors to read, then come together to discuss it live on air. Which characters do we get too attached to? What plot twist shocked us? Which scares fell flat and which had us jumping out of our seats in anxiety? Which character deaths made us lie down on the floor in anguish? You'll just have to join us here in the Library of Terrors to find out. 
Dead Letter Society is a proud part of the Moonshot Network. You can find us on Twitter at Dead Letter Pod, and you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon at the next meeting of the Society.